And then, of course, finally, at the end um, of the book, when we get back to Rivendell, and not until we get back to Rivendell, um, does it come out that where Gandalf was when he separated from Bilbo and the dwarves was joining with the other uh, white wizards to go and uh, you know, the other good wizards to go and uh, drive the necromancer out of Mirkwood, which they've done and they've liberated Mirkwood. So it's no longer going to be going to be Mirkwood, but it's going to be Greenwood again, and it's going to be full of light and happiness. Uh, and the elves are really happy, and Gandalf and Elrond are very happy. Uh, and uh, and that's the end as far as that is concerned. Now, obviously, the connections between the necromancer it's it, it's not quite accurate to say, and I know some of this stuff is review, I've talked about some of this stuff before, but it's worth reviewing. Um, uh, well, actually, okay, I was just going to go and talk about the nature of the necromancer more, but let's not do that, because that's what I should that's talk about time. next time. That's right. so, that's um, next time. In fact, uh, I was just going to ask a question along those lines, and I'll wait until Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let's, let's, let's wait thinking more about um, again, sort of reviewing uh, to make it fresh in our minds the uh, the book stuff about the necromancer and his nature and what's going on. But the point is that um, uh, the the point is that um, the you know of course you know obviously the story of what Gandalf does at Dol Guldur is not a prominent feature of the book. There are very good reasons for this. The first good reason for this is that is of it's of course the story of Bilbo and supposed to be based on his diary and he wasn't there, so he doesn't know what happened at Dol Guldur and he only finds out about it in general terms and well after the fact. You'll notice I I I pointed out the the sort of noteworthiness of the fact that Bilbo doesn't discover this until he gets to Rivendell. Um, and that's because it's basically none of his business. Gandalf never really tells Bilbo about what happened. Bilbo just overhears him telling Elrond about it. Um, so, you know, there's a very, there's a, there's a, there's a sense in which, you know, Bilbo's never involved. It never has anything to do with him. Um, and so, uh, um, so anyhow, there's, um, there's a, there's, there's a lot of story there that Bilbo never really is part of. And also Gandalf in The Hobbit basically just says, me and a group of other wizards yeah. did it. Right? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't get, yeah, I mean, it's very uh, vague. Right, exactly. And again, there are very good reasons for that, mm-hmm. um, mostly that... Uh, the White Council didn't exist. The White Council didn't exist. Galadriel didn't or Galadriel, exist. Galadriel, I don't think. No, she didn't. Galadriel didn't exist. He, you know, he invented Galadriel when he wrote uh, when he wrote the Lord of the Rings. For those of you who are thinking, but hang on a second, wait, Galadriel's in the Silmarillion. Yeah, Galadriel entered the Silmarillion after the Lord of the Rings um, was written. She, that's that's the the Lord of the Rings is the beginning of Galadriel. Um, right. There's no reference to her. Um, she doesn't even seem to be based on a like, sort of inspired by a Silmarillion character as, 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 you know, some others were like when Gorfindel comes into the Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's there in the Silmarillion tradition, but the, but Galadriel. I always was, thought, but truly wasn't Glorfindel just another, in the Hobbit, just another example of Tolkien, just like reusing a name and then he had to backfill later. Yeah. Yeah. I do think so. <laughs> I do think so. Um, but, um, <clears throat> But anyway, <clears throat> but he at least is somebody who is like, you know, even uh, even before he became identical to uh, the old Gorfindel, 
was at least one who was like the old Gorfindel. There isn't, right. <clears throat> there isn't right. really a, a an analog uh, for Galadriel. Right. Um, That's true. Yeah. Other than um, other than uh, uh, the like the parallels that she obviously has with Melian, uh, you know, um, from, who who is there, of course. Um, so anyway, anyway, um, but, uh, so yeah, so this is of course the other reason that I was going to point to. I said, there are two good reasons why we don't get anything about what happens at Dol Guldur in the, in the published Hobbit. One is that Bilbo wasn't there and it's supposed to be his account. And the other is that Tolkien didn't know. I mean, he, 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 he added that bit in the last chapter, um, at the last minute. I mean, you know, when he was writing the story, when they parted at Mirkwood, he hadn't the faintest idea what Gandalf was going off to do. And his, his drafts, uh, his early drafts and notes on the story, um, you know, in the early going, you know, in chapters eight and nine, right after they part, you know, the Mirkwood and the elves, uh, and stuff, it's, it's, he was, he contemplated bringing Gandalf back in right away because he didn't, in fact, uh, Gandalf did not actually have pressing business anywhere else that Tolkien was aware I mean, his, of. His, his motivation in this and writing the story was to get was to separate Gandalf from yes, the company, right? Exactly. Because the things that the company went through, Gandalf would have dealt with handily if he'd been with them. Right, especially things so, yeah. like the uh, cap being captured by the elves and everything, right. you know, because right. uh, Gandalf knew them, and so right. you know that that would have been. So it was really originally just simply a mechanism to separate Gandalf from the company. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was that was his that was it's his always, motivation. It's always so interesting how, you know, large epics, you know, can arise from very small necessities. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um uh yeah, so um it's um so anyway, so 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 that's sort of the origin of the Dol Guldur story, and in this sense, it's a blank slate from from the Hobbit point of view, from the published Hobbit point of view. The thing is a blank slate. I mean, it's it's <clears throat> we don't know any details about what happened other than Gandalf and some other wizards got together and drove the necromancer out of out of Mirkwood. Um, we're not even given any larger motivations for this other than the fact that obviously the necromancer is a bad guy and doing bad things. Uh, and they've gotten together finally to do something about it. Um, but the um, we do, in fact, learn more about this from Tolkien later on in his, you know, in the Lord of the Rings um, and in the appendices to the Lord of the Rings when he is, you know, connecting the stories and filling in the background more. We're told that um, it was, of course, the White Council that does this. Now, the me- the exact membership of the White Council is not really clear. He doesn't actually, you know, uh, list the membership of the White Council. Um, in uh, so, I, I mean, one can in one can certainly infer. Um, you know, we know that Gandalf and Saruman are on it. We know that Galadriel and Elrond are on it. Um, Wasn't there a mention of Círdan at some point? I think Círdan is on it. Um, we can we sort of Radagast to be on it. We'd expect right. Radagast to be on it. We'd expect. I'd expect Gorfindel. Um, you know, maybe some of the other elf lords, uh, um, like Celeborn. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> 
whatever. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> Maybe he could take the minutes or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, he, he's, you got, you got you know, it. It's hard. You got to bend over backward to make Caliborn feel involved. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> you've got, <laughs> you've got a. Um, let's see. I, I mean, I was thinking of, I was thinking of more obviously important people like Galdor <laughs> from the Havens, Elfords, or, I thought, well, or, or Gorfindel or Aristor. Um, you know, like the other elves who speak at the Council of Elrond, for instance. Chris um, asks a good question. What about Thranduil? I, I would imagine not. Actually, I don't think right? so. Being a Sylvan elf. No, I don't think so. I don't think he's sufficiently things. wise. I think his wisdom I mean, is quotient Cinder. is a little too he low. He is Cinderin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, yeah. Maybe yeah. all that hunting and feasting has dulled his wits <laughs> over the centuries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but like I said, you know, one, one of the main things is that it's not even clear whether the White Council was large or small. Mm-hmm. You know, was this a meeting of only like the greatest? And I mean, is it just like the wizards and the, you know, the, like the ring holders or, you know, the current and former ring holders? Um uh, one could justify that. You know, one could see a White Council, which was just Gandalf... Uh, Gandalf, Radagast, um, Saruman, Goadriel, Elrond, and Círdan. You know, that that right. would be sort of justified. Harold asks, is there any reason to think mortals are in the White Council? And he doesn't really give any intimation of that at all, does No, he? no. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's called the Council of the Wise, and that almost always means elves. Humans are not really <laughs> wise enough. I'm sorry. It's just, like, who are you going to invite? The other thing is... You know? The other thing is, they, I was actually surprised, as I recall in, re- in rereading the appendices, they didn't actually formally meet that often. No. It was it like two or three meetings yes. formally, right? Yes, yes, very infrequently. Um, and also, keep in mind the context of this as well. Like, they started meeting back in the middle of the Third Age. Um, and the 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 point certainly seemed to be these are it was like the meeting of the people who had both the interest and the power to try to protect you know they're like the protectors of middle earth like those of us who are still around numenor was in decline already you know so there wasn't um you know, maybe if the White Council was meeting back in like the very beginning of the Third Age or something, they might have invited the you know the the King of Gondor or something like that. Um, maybe. But like Yana points out, they met so infrequently that. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Every three centuries or so, it's kind of hard to add a mortal to the mix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's clearly the mix of people who are taking the long view of things. Uh, you know, people who have been around and and are and are, are you know are. Are noticing are you know are no, noticing some issues cropping up that uh, that really should be discussed and addressed and and people who care enough about it to to do that um, and uh, I mean there is a way I do think in which the White Council serves as a kind of um, almost like a, a sort of a last gasp I mean we, we think about the Dominion of Men right going into the the, the Fourth Age that's a that's a it's a, it's a, it's a prominent concept in the Lord of the Rings, and now comes the Dominion of Men. Um, but you never really think about the opposite of that. So like, does that mean that before that it was the Dominion of Elves? You never think about that phrase, you know, or that, that concept. Right. And, uh, 
and, 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 you know, and in some ways it's, it doesn't even really seem fully appropriate. Although actually, you know, you think the first age, yeah. I mean, think of, think, think of the first age in the Silmarillion and how it was the elf lords who were in charge and the men. Think of, you know, think of, of, of Hurin taking service with an elf lord. Um, even, you know, it's interesting actually that Tolkien wouldn't, wouldn't connect that word to the elves. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, I, exactly. Um, though again, we can see it kind of functioning in that way. If you go back, right. I'm thinking Absolutely. in particular here of the way we get this in the children of Hurin, right? You know, you think of the conversations between young Turin and, uh, you know, uh, 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 Sador Labadal, um, and, you know, Turin saying, you know, when I grow up, I am going to be, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, you know, a soldier in the army of an elf lord, um, we, we we can see you know again the the whole the, the world in which a prince among uh, men would speak like that right like his aspiration mm-hmm. is like his father before him uh, to serve as a soldier and even a general in in in, in you know the army of an elven king um, does show you a glimpse of a world which is really under the dominion of elves well the second and third ages are are really the kind of a kind of bridge period right where the elves are still sort of officially in charge but they're not running things they're not ruling kingdoms they they certainly don't have as the noldor did in beleriand they certainly don't have the whole land divided up among them you know like this is my kingship and you know my kingdom and this is your kingdom over there um so, uh, but nevertheless, many of them are still around, and they still care, um, and they're still noticing the, the 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 spread of evil, and they seem to be willing to pa- to to pass by, like oh, okay, so they're a bunch of men, and they're you know these are the like kingdoms of the heathen kings that Gandalf refers to in the Lord of the Rings, um, uh, you know, and and they're you know not very upstanding, uh, 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 you know lands and and uh and peoples and everything but you know they're only concerned about big picture things they're they're apparently willing to let that kind of thing go they don't seem too concerned about that but when they begin to see sauron taking shape again and starting to rule things and uh uh, and signs that you know a, a new dominion of a new dark lord is in fact coming up then the wise get together and say all right um, those of us who are still around here in Middle Earth and who still, you know, are paying attention and care, um, we should get together and do something about that. That's the origin of the White Council. Right. Um, the one thing, by the way, I, I, I said, I, you know, we could understand the White Council being small. I could also understand the White Council being large. The thing about it, which um, leads me to wonder whether or not the White Council might have had, uh, uh, in, in, in Tolkien's conception, might have had a much larger uh, membership, is the stuff about the basically the like uh, committee politics stuff about Saruman being named head of the council, and how Galadriel really want you know if Galadriel had had her mm-hmm. way, Gandalf would have been head of the council, which has always led me to the uh, the, the unanswered question. Why the heck didn't Galadriel have her way? Like, right. who prevented Galadriel from having her way? Um, 
was she voted down and if so by whom uh was because if it's this is and and it's this element it's this unanswered question in my mind and i know that like the you know the internal committee politics of the white council might not you know tolkien perhaps was wise to think that's not the most gripping story in the world but um uh but nevertheless that unanswered question has always asked invited me to think of it as a larger group because if it's right. just like the six you know if it's just radagast and again presumably the blue wizards have a standing invite and don't show up um <laughs> but uh uh perhaps radagast doesn't show up for all we know um that's true that would also seem quite possible based on what we know of him but if the membership is at least 5 and possibly 6 um, yeah, again, Kyrdan, Galadriel, uh, Elrond, Gandalf, Saruman, and Radagast. Who's she being outvoted by? You know, I mean, now you got me thinking Harry Dresden here, <laughs> right? Know, the wizard, with, the wizard with the White Council. Council, right? Exactly. Yeah, the White Council. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I and mean, Doug, I, and there was lots of in you know politics and whatnot. You had the high, the high, what five or six of them, right? Right, and right. Yeah, the rest, senior council yeah. and everything. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm. Uh, so basically, the, the idea that's that Galadriel was somehow outvoted um, leads me to suspect. At least, it, it's easier for me to understand that, um, uh, since it's it's it, it, it's easy for me to understand that um, if there's a larger membership, it's much harder right. if there's a smaller membership. Um, as uh, Tom uh, Hillman is just pointing out, Kierden would presumably vote for Gandalf since he gave him the ring. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And Yana was saying exactly the same thing. thing, Yeah, Yeah, both of them were thinking (laughs) the same thing at the time. So, yeah, I I, I, I can't imagine Kierden being like, uh, oh, yeah, no, go ahead, you'll forget about it. We're going with Saruman. I can't see. And Elrond, I mean, I I can't, well, I don't know. I mean, we don't know kind of what Elrond thought of Saruman. Sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but, but. But strong, I don't know. It's just, it, it could happen, <laughs> but it's hard for me to, whereas if we have a larger population, you know, if it, right. if there was a ground a groundswell among, you know, the others, and then you've got, you know, I, I can easily see Goadriel, Kierden, and Gandalf, all three of them, sort of you remaining stylish. to the old Gandalf for president button. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, I'm starting to think of like campaign posters and caps, <laughs> right. you know. Right. See, <laughs> Saruman would have been producing those. You know, he would That's have true. he would have gotten the propaganda machine going. Um, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That might be why, what worked, right? Because Gandalf would have just thought, you know, my record speaks for itself. I don't need to, you know, I can just be me and, you know, and, and Saruman won because of all the machinations. Right, right. Yeah. Kate, Kate says that it was probably Kelleborn. It was probably Kelleborn who voted for Saruman at the first meeting and was left home afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas Dime says, remember, Caliburn will always do what Gladriel says. Well, no, see, and that's probably, Kate, this is an, this is an excellent explanation. I love this idea that Galadriel was just about to say, I think obviously the wise choice is Gandalf. And then, and then Caliburn speaks up and is like, I say Saruman. And now Galadriel's like, well, shoot, either I have to make my, hu- my husband look like an idiot in public, or I just have to sit on this now. Um, <laughs> And she decided to be, you know, courteous. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, cer- certainly, um, 
<laughs> Philip says, remember that the elves will say both no and yes. No and yes. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so the voting system in the White Council was an absolute nightmare. You know, it's like <laughs> all in favor say yay, all in favor say nay, and everybody says both, you know. <laughs> It's hard to get anywhere. It's okay. You, get the elves out of the room. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Um. <laughs> yeah, and Gabrielle says, you know, all the ceremony posters would have the white hand. This could be where the white hand symbol actually originated. <laughs> That's this, right, yeah. His selection. His, 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 his campaign buttons. <laughs> We're creating new canon here. Everybody. Exactly. Absolutely. This is, I'm sure, exactly how it happened. <laughs> Um, anyway, like I said, I really have no idea what the politics were like and how that, how that, um, you know, how that came into be. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of sort of, you know, retcon that Tolkien didn't do. Well, but, and you know, you said you think he was wise for not getting into it. I don't know that it was so much wisdom as just non-interest. Right. Uh, from what I understand, the professor, that whole topic would just not hold his interest to where he'd even want to flesh out any kind of details. Right. I mean, the other thing is that, you know, it it could simply, of course, be as simple as one person putting himself forward and the other not, you know. Right. Um, Somebody did say maybe Gandalf declined. Right. And uh, Which is what he said happened in Valinor to begin with, right? Right, exactly. So, you know, it could well be that, uh, you know, at the beginning... Galadriel says, I think Gandalf is, is, is obviously the appropriate one. And Gandalf says no. And then, uh, Saruman's like, well, how about me? And everyone's like, okay, you know, that, that I could easily see. He clearly bears a grudge. Saruman does, um, against Galadriel, you know, accusing him of always scheming on Gandalf's part. Um, so that if uh, if 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 it had been, if he was the head of the council, but only the head of the council because Gandalf had declined, um, the kind of uh, you know, that'd be another embittered be person another in position of the, power. Yeah, yeah would be yeah. would 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 seem to kind of fit him there. Um, but uh, and again, if we don't yeah. worry about the timing of when Tolkien wrote all this stuff and actually step ourselves into Arda. You know, it's kind of the similar thing, like I said, that happened in Valinor, which is Manway definitely had uh, right. Aloran in his sights. Right. And then, you know, Kurnir kind of, and I don't even, I think Kurnir actually kind of volunteered, right? Well, I should go because I am so great. Yeah, he was, he was one of the of first to volunteer. Yeah. So, you and, know, kind of a repeat. And the thing is, you could see Saruman stepping forward in a way that wasn't obviously bad, you know, and which, mm-hmm. you know... It, it, which which would have been just basically you know him leading you know him him sort of just serving as a leader rather than you know maneuvering for power in any kind of obvious way um and you know and people accepting that um so i i'm not even sure that you know what we're told about it necessarily implies that gandalf act actively was offered the position and declined. Um, right. He, uh, um, it could be just as, uh, just as likely that, I mean, who knows? You know, it's one of the things that I find very interesting in Jackson's depiction of the white council meeting in Rivendell, um, which he doesn't call that, but anyway, you know, we have the constituents of a super micro, uh, white council because we don't have Kyrdan. Um, and we have apparently pointedly not invited Radagast. Um, 
who was in the area but didn't get an invite uh, to the meeting in, in, in the first Hobbit film. Um, the way that he has uh, Gandalf and Galadriel communicating, uh, you know, that they're like telepathic communication during the council. And there's one thing that I really like about that, and that is the sense in which even uh, when there's only four of them meeting, I mean, it's this tiny council meeting, but even when only four of them are meeting, there's like the real work being done by two of them. You know, there's, you know, Gandalf and Goadriel have an understanding of things which Elrond hasn't picked up on yet. He's, he's clearly, Elrond is clearly kind of the doofus of that meeting. Do you notice that? <laughs> you know, he's the one who is like gullible. You know, he's willing to, you know, he's like, oh, I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's, I, I, he's, um, he doesn't take things seriously. He's not a complete stooge. Um, but, uh, but he's clearly the one that Saruman is able to dupe. Um, and then you've got Saruman who seems to be acting, uh, who seems to be acting unscrupulously. <laughs> Tom says it's only because Celeborn wasn't there. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, she, Galadriel should have brought him along just as a straight man, say in that way. Um, but, um, but anyway, I mean, we, we do get that sense of the two of them, Galadriel and Gandalf, both understand better than the other two, um, more and better than the other two, what's really going on and what's um, and what's really important. And you see, the, you know, so really the important thing that's happening at that council is the communication between the two of them. That's certainly the the impression that that scene left on me um, in the film. And... Uh, and again, I think that there's a kind of um, the the relationship that we get between Gandalf and Galadriel in the books um, is something that I, that really, to me, uh, sort of suggests that um, or or bears that out in the sense that um, the two of them are two of the only people who really do understand all of the things that are going on. Um, and this is why, you know, you think of, of Goadriel's, you know, comment, you know, tell me where is Gandalf, for I much desire to speak of him, uh, to, to speak with him. Um, it, it's, uh, um, you can see the kind of respect that she has for him. And even the, you know, the, the comment about, uh, you know, her having wanted him to be head of the council. You know, that whole thing didn't need to be necessarily a, a formal nomination and, and a formal declining of the leadership. It could simply just have been as much of as, you know, her looking at him and and uh, him, you know, shaking his head and like the two of them understanding that, you know, their roles are differently, you know, that or their, their roles are different. Right? It, it could happen. I mean, <laughs> we, we know that they're both ring bearers and we know that they are able, we're told explicitly they're able to communicate with each other. And that scene that we get in the end of the return of the king of of you That's know right. Goadriel and Elrond and right. and uh, Gandalf sitting around and telepathically communicating and um I, I don't know if Celeborn's actually included or if he's just bringing them drinks or something but uh <laughs> but anyway we know that the three of them can telepathically <laughs> communicate <laughs> sorry i i probably shouldn't have as much fun as i do have in we do at his expense don't we i mean poor guy jeez <laughs> but yeah yeah. <laughs> you know, Sandra actually wrote something that got me thinking about uh, Saruman's character. And I don't mean, Sar I mean, I have a little pity for Saruman, not Saruman as Saruman in the story, but for what all the stuff that 
he got heaped on with from Tolkien. Right. You know, like like Sandra said, you know, he didn't didn't JRT say that he mistrusted those who actively run for office, you know. So Searle, you know, he put that distrust of you know, people who hold public positions onto Saruman. He put his dislike of technology onto Saruman. Yes. Poor Saruman, you know, just got heaped on. And of course, you know, he's the foil for Gandalf, but golly, poor guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> not a prayer. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, you know, Tolkien was very strongly of the opinion in his private life that the only person that you can possibly trust in office is the person who doesn't want to be there. Um, <laughs> Noli Episcopari, uh, he was quoting, that is the, uh, th- you know, a, a traditional formula from the Middle Ages. I do, I do not want to be bishop. Um, the only person who is, it is appropriate to be a bishop is the one who will say Noli Episcopari. Um, right. Uh, so yes, if you have people who, this is, this is, uh, um, one of, I mean, I personally very strongly agree with this. It's one of my problems with voting for people who run for office is that they've all run for office and they all obviously really want it. Um, That's right. And uh, I, uh, that makes me very uncomfortable. We're, uh, we're at a disadvantage right off the bat, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kurt makes a really good point. As old as he is, Caliborn would know how to make some very vintage cocktails. I can see now like Caliborn's, you know, bar, bar guide. So it's, it's very, especially since he's just been bringing people drinks for a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, useful to have around Caliborn. He probably does the camp cooking too. Him and Sam, you know, uh, that's right. Well, that's a charming picture of Caliborn, actually. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, uh, okay. Where okay. were we? Where, 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 where were we? Uh, White Council membership. Okay. So, um, so again, in the Hobbit, uh, the 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 obviously this is one of the things that is explicitly contradicted between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. It's a very minor thing, you know. There are several very minor things that are um ex- that that are explicit contradictions between the two. Where Tolkien just changed the concept, and rather than doing what he usually does, um, which is go back and uh, invent an elaborate history by which like the thing changed and everything, you know, instead he just flat contradicted it and and didn't draw any attention to it. And I am referring, of course, to Gandalf's reference to the many other good wizards who joined with him uh, in order to drive out the necromancer. There was no hint that there were elves involved in this. In fact, the mere fact that he is coming back to report this to Elrond, who apparently doesn't know anything about it, shows that elves weren't involved in this. Right. Um, and uh, and certainly, obviously, Elrond himself not involved in that. Um, uh, so he has reduced the number of good wizards, the concept of, you know, the, the, the small number of Astari who have come back over the sea, not present in the Hobbit. That's clearly a concept that he has devised as he moves into the Lord of the Rings composition. Um, uh, remember Gandalf at the beginning of the Hobbit, he's a wizard and it's it's relatively clear that there's a bunch of these guys mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that he's just there are, there are some people who are wizards and gandalf is one of them uh, and um uh you know it's like a you know like a career choice basically um uh however um i 
that that obviously is a concept. Both the nature of wizards and the quantity of wizards have changed, and his choice to involve the White Council, uh, or to involve elves uh, in this White Council and this uh, this this action against the necromancer in Mirkwood. Again, that's probably rooted in that shift he made from fairy tale or fairy story to to epic, right? Yeah, I think so. so certainly, the yeah. the concept of like. You know, like, look, uh, there's an old man coming up to knock on your door, and it turns out he's a wizard. That's a very fairy tale concept, right? I right. mean, that that feels very fairy tale. Um, right. But, um, uh, so yeah, it is. It is. It is very. It's it's very much of the um, very much adapted to the to the sort of the the ethos of his mythology to have. The wizards be, you know, these, you know, thousand-year-old guys who came across the sea, and you know, so they have this, um, you know, this supernatural background uh, and this, um, you know, this uh, task that's unknown to most that is laid upon them, and all this, you know, all of those elements of the of the Astari tradition are very much. Um, are very much in the ethos of his mythology. Um, right. Keep in mind when you know, and this is this is an argument of my own. I don't want to. I don't want to make this sound like me just uh, stating fact because it's not. So, like, warning: take this with a grain of salt. It is only my own theory. <laughs> um, but I believe that when he began writing the Hobbit, he was not writing the Hobbit within the world of his mythology. That right. um, to to. He, he later brought it in, but I do not think that when he sat down to write to write the Hobbit, not just when he sat down to write it, but as he was sitting down writing, um, you know, the uh, especially the early chapters of the Hobbit, he was planning to write a fairy fairy tale style children's story, which was not connected with the Silmarillion mythology that he had already developed. And I say this knowing, yes, I know that we get references to Gondolin and that Elrond is in the Silmarillion and all this stuff. I think that he's lifting and borrowing names he's and concepts. He's borrowing names. Yeah, he's recycling I mean, for one thing, elements. it's like Fingolfin. I mean, Fingolfin, Fingolfin used exactly. in the early manuscripts as a way to do a golf, you know, pun. Yes. And then probably realize later that he probably should not use that for a goblin king. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it, exactly. to me, that's one of the most telling things. If he was just borrowing names. Absolutely. Yes, the goblin king. I mean, I have this picture of him str- striding the den carpet back and forth as he's telling his children the story, pulling names, you know, as he's making the story up, you know, as he goes kind of a thing. And then it eventually gets written down as the thing develops. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's very true. You know, actually, and also he had been writing stories for his kids. I mean, like Priscilla even says, not even just writing, but telling stories. And she says he told so many that never even got written down. That was at a period of time when his children were small. And I I don't know, this is so, this sounds so obvious to say now, but it was kind of an epiphany for me a a little while ago, which is that was almost an aberration in his writing career. That period of time that he was writing for children was an aberration because his children were small. Right. Right. You know, and, and probably one of the reasons why doing the sequel to The Hobbit didn't work out very well is because his children weren't small anymore when he started to write it. And he was going back to his, his the right. way he'd been writing, you know, his right. natural way of writing, which was more in the epic tradition. So that's the thing. I mean, and I, and I muse about how fortuitous it was because I think The Hobbit softened the readership up for The Lord of the Rings. I don't know that The Lord of the Rings would have been as as popular and as 
influential uh, if we hadn't had the Hobbit to sort of get us started down that path. So, I mean, you know, it's just, you just kind of never know. Yeah, it is definitely, it is uh, definitely interested to, uh, uh, to, to think about um, the, and, and I agree with you. I, I mean, I think because there are, you know, a bunch of the stories that survive from that period, you know, not only The Hobbit, but Roverandom, right. you know, for instance, you think of the Father Farmer Christmas Giles, letters, extent, Far- Farmer Giles, yeah, it. absolutely, yeah. Uh, Far- Farmer Giles of Ham, um, and the Father Christmas letters are a fascinating right. example of this, um, you know, and the Father Christmas letters, those, are, you know, uh, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with, with this, you know, Tolkien wrote uh, every year letters to his children uh, you know, purported to be from Father Christmas, from Santa Claus, and um, and they tended at you know at first they were relatively short and you know sort of talking about the presents that they were getting and um, often sort of providing uh, you know they, they began to to tell stories to basically give explanations for why like more and better presents didn't come to them because like there were usually some kind of terrible disaster at the North pole usually caused, uh, uh, by the endearing, but incompetent North polar bear. Um, and, uh, and they're, 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 they're very whimsical and they're very funny. Um, but even there we can see elements from his other stories creeping in. And again, just creeping in his elements, he's just recycling stuff. You know, he's bringing things in, um, as material, uh, and again, and we can see the same thing in Rover Random. You know, you can see echoes of some other things in in his other stories, but he's nowhere just retelling those other stories. Um, so yeah, when he was telling stories to his kids a lot, he does. I mean, I th- I think that that connection is a really good one um, right. because, of course, yes, his normal impulses we can see. His normal impulse is to systematize, right? You know, his normal impulse is to say, let me write, you know, an intricate, an intricately connected mm-hmm. series of stories that, you know, take place and, um, and, and, you know, have all of this consistency of reality and everything else. Um, but he, the, the thing that got him away from that, it, 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 it seems very, it seems to me very logical to say that the thing that got him away from that in that period, um, when we get the majority of these more disconnected stories, um, even the adventures of Tom Bombadil, for instance, right. are also in that period. You yeah, know, I mean, we're talking about like the thirties, basically. Um, when when you see the origin of a lot of these other stories, the origin of The Hobbit, the origin of Farmer Giles of Ham, the origin of Tom Bombadil, um, the you know the 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 writing of Rover Random, um, the Father Christmas letters, all of these things are are from that time when his kids were young and he was telling them stories. Um, so. Uh, and, and you also yeah. have, actually, even in contrast in that period of time, he was writing other bits of his of his legendarium. I mean, the Lay of Lathian, oh, yeah. that sort of more... I mean, so he still was doing his sort of, quote-unquote, natural stuff, right. you know, right. um, which I think even gives more credence to this sort of uh, borrowing and, you know, but he wasn't really... It wasn't like a serious endeavor, these children's these stories, stories yeah. versus the other... Yeah, exactly. Yes, it, it, it is almost like... Um, <laughs> of course, I, I, it's, it's sort of funny to think about it this way, but it's almost like, you know, he's telling these stories to his kids in his spare time and then he goes back to his day job, which is working on the Silmarillion, 
you know, I mean, right. I know that's not really his day job, but, but, you know, from a, from a creative standpoint, you know, his, yes. his bread and butter is like, you know, l- let me continue to, you know, try to write my epic poem well, of the lay of late. He did like you do, you know, you're with the kids, put them to bed and then you go down and do your work. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Kind of, so he, he kind of birthed the midnight oil himself after right. the kids went to bed writing yep. the, the quote unquote real stuff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's a depressing parallel. As in my case, that's like <laughs> emails, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Anyhow, your creativity's in a different channel. Right uh, yeah, now, very so. different channel right now. Uh, anyway, so so yeah, um, the but all, all of this getting back to the White Council and 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 to Gandalf. This is why the you know the the world of the Hobbit, not just the text of The Hobbit. It's not just like a story detail that he decided to abandon, but that idea of Gandalf just being a wizard and, uh, you know, connecting up at a, you know, them having a local, you know, a local conference for, like, the good wizards. Like, hey, like, the good wizards are getting together for their annual shindig, and they decide, hey, let's band together and, like, uh, um, uh, you know, go kick the necromancer out of Mirkwood. That whole concept is just flat abandoned because it doesn't fit into the world of Middle Earth. It doesn't fit in, it, as I said right. before, it doesn't fit into the whole ethos. Um, so, again, this is another this is another example of where it would be um, inappropriate. You know, again, the question of uh, so you know, come back to Peter Jackson's adaptation here. Um, what 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 would it mean? for Peter Jackson to be true to Tolkien's story in depicting the attack on Dol Guldur. The fact that he's going to depict it um, is perfectly understandable, unless in the film you choose to follow Bilbo in the same way. If you choose to make Bilbo the the continual point-of-view character as he is in the book... um, uh, if you do, um, you know, unless he makes that choice in the films, which he obviously doesn't make that choice, and and, the, and that that choice seems totally justifiable, uh, in fact, totally justifiable from Tolkien's point of view, because one of the things that Tolkien emphasizes heavily in the Lord of the Rings, when the characters are looking back at the text of the Hobbit and the events of the Hobbit within the Lord of the Rings, is that you know, there's there's a little bit of almost almost kind of patronizing of Bilbo and of the Hobbit in, in, right. in the sense that like, well, you know, that, 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 uh, diary that Bilbo captured, and it's not a diary, but that, that, um, uh, you know, that story that Bilbo Memoir. wrote is cute. Yes. Um, but it doesn't tell even half the story because it just tells like, it tells the things that Bilbo saw and from the, the extent to which he understood them, which we come to see more and more was, not that much, and he didn't understand them that far. Um, so, uh, so, so again, I mean, that's that's the way that that's the way that we're kind of prompted to um, uh, to to sort of look back at the Hobbit story from the Lord of the Rings point of view. So again, this is just back to fundamentals of of how Chris Lawson just gave me 
a mental image that's just like too much. Or the White Council sitting around drinking cocktails and getting, having one too many, and like, let's go show that necromancer. You know, let's go to Dal Gulder and give that necromancer a witch. Yeah, you know those 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 when those wizards get together for their annual conference, you know, you never know what they're going to do. The annual <laughs> wizard convention, do. they pull the wildest pranks. You know. <laughs> This year they decided to to kick the necromancer out of Merkwood. They got a little frisky this year. Now, now, so the one thing I would assume Jackson is drawn from also are the appendices. And I do remember Tolkien, you know, writing about that. But I did have one question, and I think it fits in this one rather than the next episode, is doesn't he write in the appendices that at this time when they they do away with the necromancer, um, they don't raise Dal Guldur? That actually happens during the War of the Ring, right? Where Galadriel oh yeah, Do- like, destroys the foundations. Dogolder is why would is, they is not have functional? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I asking, I should know better. Asking why questions with Tolkien, I actually promised myself I wouldn't do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, it is. Uh, um, yeah, it does seem a little surprising, you know, that they didn't. Especially also because, I mean, they had originally thought it was like the Witch King or Nazgul. I mean, they knew it was a dark force. They didn't necessarily know it was Sauron when they first, I think he, he sticks to that in the appendices too, right? That at this time of The Hobbit, they didn't know it was Sauron, but they assumed it was like the Witch King or some other um, dark force. At the force. time when they kick him out, they know. Because remember, the, oh, they Gandalf That's discovers right. That's it. Right, Gandalf he, had yes. gone in. Yeah, yes. okay. okay. Um, Which again... I got to sidestep the why here, but again, it's like, so they kick him out, but they don't like do whatever hocus pocus they need to do to sort of cleanse Dal Guldur. They just kind of leave it. I, I don't know. It, it's a sort of a side note. But... <laughs> Harold says maybe being drunk, each one thought the other was raising the fort to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you did it. You're back at, at Rivendell, right? I thought you. No, I thought you did. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, I, I, uh, um, yeah. I mean, no, you're right. Uh, the why is kind of elusive there. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things which, as so often, seems really stupid in retrospect. There are a bunch of people that the good guys do that seem really dumb in retrospect. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, as for instance, the, the number one example of which, of course, has to be not destroying the Ring of Power at Mount Doom when right. they overthrow Sauron. That's, right. you know, uh, uh, taking the ring to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom. Like is, Elrond couldn't have overpowered Isildur. Right. You it's know, absolutely top of the list for yeah. thing uh, choices which uh, might have seemed understandable at the time, but look really bad in retrospect. Um, and... Uh, um, and I think this is, you know, basically they've driven Sauron's out. He's not there anymore. So they're, right. they appear to be right. just sort of focused on Sauron. And, um, well, they knew he didn't have the ring. They knew that his power was still waiting. I mean, you know, there's probably a lot of backfilling we could do. I'm reading Anne C. Petty's book right now about, uh, uh, I think it's Tolkien in the land of the heroes. Land of heroes yeah. And she makes a point. She actually goes, she's right. What I'm reading right now is kind of back to the first age and whatnot, but she makes a point, which I think could be applicable here, which is with regard to Melkor, the Valar are kind of clueless because not being evil themselves, they don't have a conception and they, they consistently underestimate what Melkor is capable of or right. what motivations he would have. And I, I could kind of maybe see it within Tolkien's story. I could kind of see an echo of that here. Where the White Council, with possibly the exception of Saruman, who would probably have his own 
reasons for not wanting to necessarily raise Dal Guldur, um, wouldn't necess- wouldn't would be underestimating Sauron. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I could I could kind of get that as as a good, you know, and it's too much work. It's too much work to take the foundations down, and besides which, he's gone, and we don't have to worry about him anymore. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, you'd think maybe they could have anticipated that it would, in fact, be uh, filled with power sevenfold later on, as as yeah. Haldir mentions it's going to be. But you know, <laughs> if you're primary, folk- and you think that Glorfindel, who is who, who had the premonition about the Witch King, could have helped a little bit. You know, he seemed to be a little far sighted. I mean, right? Well, I mean, you, you know, know these premonitions like come and go. Yeah, come and go. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, they're uh, they're like oracles, right? They're 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 can't be counted on to be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I mean, I'm sorry about the why questions. I mean, I, I should know better because on the Tolkien no. Society Facebook page, I'm always, always getting the, why didn't the eagles just take the hobbits to Mordor? You know what I mean? It's like, why, why, why? And it, like when you ask that question of Tolkien, it, it's a really hard answer. The best we can do is theorize. Right. Well, I mean, yes, it is. It is. But see, this is the thing, though, is that at the same time with Tolkien you have to. That is to say, yes. his stories continually invite this kind... Not the why didn't the eagles take the ring to mortal <laughs> question, which increasingly... Uh, is an irritation. Yes, it? is an irritation. Um, it's... I mean, because basically... I mean, my, my, here's my paraphrase of that question. Um, why didn't Tolkien write a crappy story instead of a good story? <laughs> And then hey, see if see I if maybe you can answer that one for yourself. I, that. Um, I, I mean, I, it's 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 um, anyway. That's right. So. It's like how boring would Giannis is? How boring would the story be? I know exactly. Uh, maybe because he was interested in telling a good story, uh, and uh, um, <laughs> and because yeah, I, I mean, it's it's uh, like basically what all it boils down to is that Tolkien didn't explicitly s- explain why that couldn't happen. Right. Okay. Right. Like right. it's it's right. he seems to sort of take for granted that the eagles can't just fly them into Mordor and drop right. them into the, into into Mount Doom, which apparently, like from the point of view of the modern internet, was a big, uh, you know, misstep on Tolkien's part that he didn't explicitly explain why that couldn't happen. <laughs> um, uh, but it's. Um, no, there. Are... By the way, I do want to acknowledge everybody in Dave's absence. You notice how Corey and I just like go completely far afield. Yeah. Yeah. When we have phone conversations, this is also what happens. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway. Um, anyway. Okay. So. Yeah. So why, the why, but I think the back to that in terms of the why that I yes. brought up, you know, it, yeah. it's it's, it, it's kind of dicey to sort of ask the why questions. And, and I mean, there have been folks actually on the question board that have made, and I think you're right. I think the best we could probably do is take evidence that Tolkien's given us, put it together, and then make a sort of an educated guess as to why. That's mm-hmm. probably the best we could ever do with that stuff. Like, for example, Kate said, well, if Dol Guldur was built with the power of the ring, they may not have had the power to, to you know, undo it at that time or something. So, Right. It's possible. He does, he does kind of imply that because I think Galadriel actually destroys it after the ring's been destroyed in the appendices. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah. yeah, it is possible. Um you know, to sort of see it as a parallel to Barad-dur in that way, um, right. you know, it's his little mini Barad-dur. You know, he's got his he's got his house in town, and he's got his house in the in the country. Well, or the know. witch king said, "I want a place of my own." <laughs> That's right. 
Yeah. I don't no, he had his own place up in Angmar. You know, he 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 had oh, his he had his nice place. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, was the second, who was the second one? There was another one named that was like the second one that actually did take up residence in Dalgoldor. I can't remember his name now. Yeah, yeah. I think he was the only one besides the Witch King that got named. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Now, let's shift, if you're willing to do so, to the movie in the sense of we know there's going to be a quote-unquote battle of Dalgoldor because Philip Boyens has, 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 you know, let that one out of the bag. Sure. Wait, ha, do we ha, think ha, it's going wait, to be wait, a full-on... Wait oh, a second. You want to talk about the movie? It's, it's only been like forty-five minutes. We're, we're we're shifting to the movie already. That seem a little premature to you. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go You're ahead. Right. Yes, that's You're right. right. There's a film. Um, <laughs> there's I, this film. There's this film. Uh, yeah. About an alternate universe. Exactly. Okay. Which I'm, I'm with beginning you. to think with the Hobbit, I'm more and more with it being more like the Bizarro universe from the Superman comics. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm yeah. thinking more. In terms I'm totally, of that. So, I'm totally you know. with you now. Okay, so there's okay. A, there's a, there's a movie, there's Battle of Dol Guldur, right? Which of course has nothing to do with the book. Nope. Um, and really, we shouldn't be thinking of it in conjunction with the book, really. No. No, wait, wait a second. That's what we're shoot. <laughs> oh boy, have we been going in we the wrong direction for the last two minutes. and a half years? Uh, okay, but anyway, right. So. Battle of Dol Guldur. Let's let's uh, I'll stop screwing around. Let's actually talk about now, this now. Now I so, believe, okay. and I don't think, and folks, I, you know, you can correct me, but I've seen a poster, and I don't think it's a fan poster. It's, it, I believe, it was a um, official poster of the four, the four of them being who were they? Elrond, Galadriel. Oh gosh, Saruman. Was it Gandalf and Saruman? Yeah, yeah. You know, backs turned toward us. Battle armor on. You know. F- apparently walking toward the, the tower and Dol Guldur off in the distance. And I think that was an official poster. Again, may not have been, could have been a, a fan did it. But if that's the case, that might be an indication. Um, but again, do we think it'll be a full-on battle with like elves called to arms or will it be a more of a guerrilla action of just these four or maybe these four in Bayorn or something like that? Well, it certainly does invite, it, it certainly does invite the question if they're going in, where are the rest of the... I mean, Galadriel's got people. Exactly. Elrond's, Elrond obviously has people. They're out killing orcs. In are they the going to have a? Thing. Are they going to have a word with Thranduil? Um, you know, I mean, is that going right. to? Would that ever? Come, you'd think that would come up. You know, uh, um, if Elrond and Galadriel are marching to war, they'd be like, "Hey, a uh, little help here." Um, you know, you guys are actually living here in this forest. Um, you are suffering from this evil that is emerging from here. We're like. First and foremost, trying to pull your biscuits out of the fire here in in it, you know. So, um, of course, given his reaction after he beheaded that orc in the second movie, I mean, he definitely got the impression he was going to go ultra isolationist. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, Tom says, "Are we going to finally see Eladon and Elro here?" Uh, uh, yeah. Good question. Um, <laughs> good point. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I. Th- think so yeah so so let's 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 think of possible scenarios here scenario number one is this kind of uh at least one elven army and if not armies at least like you know swat teams basically you know like the swat team that elrond led to uh to uh defeat the orcs there in film one for instance 
right? You know, we saw him at the head of a mounted unit. Are we going to get Elrond and, a, and, and you know, a, a unit from uh, Rivendell and, you know, Goadriel and her, like, you know, elite Goathrim ninjas coming uh, up from the south <laughs> um, and then hoping that Thranduil will join the party, but he might not. Um uh, because meanwhile, pointing elf is pointing up towards the lonely mountain instead of down towards the south. So, I don't know, but um, that 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 would be one option. Now, here's one of my biggest concerns with this: is that whom are they going to fight? I mean, orcs, obviously, but we just saw the orc army leaving Dol Guldur, and it's presumably on its way. He could just have, you know, we could just have a whole bunch of red shirt orcs who have stayed around Dol Guldur in order to be killed by the elves who attack. Um, that's, you know, there's no reason theoretically why he couldn't do that. Right. Um, but, uh, but that seems, a, I don't know. I mean, that seems to me a little unsatisfying. Um, I don't see, basically, with the way that they've set it up, having Dol Guldur be the place where the army that is to be placed under Azog has been gathering and then seeing them leave, you know, and, and they're going to march up to the Lonely Mountain um, and take part. You know, they've got an appointment at the Battle of Five Armies. It doesn't seem to me like there is much of a plot left in epic multi-army battle at mm-hmm. Dol Guldur. Yeah. Because, the you know, the, sort of the whole the whole gist of the plot has moved in the direction already of the, ar- the Dol Guldur army has left. Um, and so the, you know, the idea of Galadriel and the Galathrim coming in and overwhelming, you know, the vastly outmanned home guard of Dol Guldur doesn't seem like a good story. Um, and it's a little right. hard for me to see that. Well, and the other thing is, of course, there's the practicality of, you know, having two epic battles in one movie, especially given the name of this particular movie, you know, the Battle of the Five Armies is, is sort of the centerpiece one would assume right so we probably wouldn't have a big armed you know big army at Dogledore. I, I i also and actually um um kurt mentioned this and i was going to say the same thing which is you know i think we jackson wants some scope for his special effects you know <laughs> and so we'll probably get more of like a harry potterish kind of uh battle of the wizards sort of thing um going on and i would imagine you know, now don't forget we've got we've got gandalf stuck up on the side of that rock right um, you know, does he send a, you know, does he send a, a mental message to, uh, you know, Galadriel per her invitation in Revendell to do so? And is that what spurs this on? I mean, you know, if, I mean, so I do think probably I'm thinking gorilla, more yeah. of a gorilla, you know, smaller band of powerful wizard kind of a thing. Um, I'm wondering if, do they go to rescue Gandalf mainly, or are they going to rescue Gandalf and try to oust Sauron? I mean, that's, that's going to be kind of interesting to see. And then, you know, and, and again, and this might be a topic for next week, is Sauron even there at this point? You know, is, is Jackson going to be at least that true to the book? Um, uh, and we can talk about that more next week. But um, I'm thinking I'm thinking probably just practical reasons. You know, a lot of what you just said, I think it's just going to be a small band. Bayorn may show up. I'm yeah. hoping he does. Yeah. Um, I, but I don't, I don't, I can't imagine we'll see even any other elves besides... Um, Elrond and Galadriel really uh, as part of this uh, this battle, and will even uh, Elrond be there? That's oh yeah, we not, may not see yeah. Elrond. That's true. I'm I'm just going by that <coughs> poster, which again may not even be an official poster. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure that that Elrond will be there. Maybe, um, 
also, of course, remember we have Radagast sent off for help. Um, so Gandalf doesn't necessarily need to send a telepathic message to Galadriel. That's true. Um, That's true. Nor That's true. in this on this occasion does he even need a moth. He, uh, moth. No, he doesn't. Because uh, no. anyway, Although... he's not summoning eagles. He's summoning Galadriel. <laughs> you know, you have you you, you send off a it's moth a for eagles. You send off Radagast for yeah, yes. exactly. For, yeah. for, yes, right. Um, Bunnies, bunny yeah. sleds. For, yeah, for... exactly. So. Um, and it seems to me the urgency of that, even, you know, I, I agree. The fact that the conflict, think also of the way that they managed the conflict between Gandalf and Azog, right? Um, it was clear that Gandalf coming and attacking, um, he didn't, wasn't really bothered by the orc army that right. was there. Um, you've got to think that if the good guys are thinking, okay, uh, Gandalf has captured at Dol Guldur and we need to go rescue him, um, I'm thinking Galadriel is not going to be thinking, well, step one, build an army and march the army at Dol Guldur. Right. Um, as, again, <laughs> Gandalf didn't seem particularly perturbed by Azog or the rest of his orcs. Um, and, uh, and, and obviously the fact that this is... Uh, um, that this is has been revealed that it's Saruman that they're or the, the Sauron that they're fighting against right. um, is is going to. I, I mean, I don't think she's going to pay much attention if there. Presumably, there will be a home guard of of orcs, and um, she's not going to pay much attention to. Them. Well, you know, and another question is even if Saruman's going to be there, not just simply for the story, but you know, Christopher Lee not really being hale enough. I mean, even if originally he was going to be there, he might have gotten written out of the Battle of Dol Guldur. Yes. Yes. By the way, Brian Biggs makes the very good point of any moss would probably have been eaten by the bats. So moss, that's, that's moth, that's moth relay is, does not work from Dol <laughs> Yeah, that would be uh, that would be a very heroic moth indeed that was able to uh, to get through the cloud of bats. That's right. Um, so really, we could end up with a Galadriel Radagast. Yep. Just the, the two of them, really. Based on the setup we got in the last film, that really seems most likely to me mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. that we're going to get. You know, so we're talking about the membership of the White Council, and we get down to three, basically. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, three people who are going to be uh, attacking Sauron here. Um, that seems to me likeliest. I can imagine Elrond showing up. He's really far away, but that doesn't matter. Um, so maybe, you know, that's the case. Maybe Elrond. Well, then you'd have all three rings there, too, which would be an interesting... Yep. Um you know, they could cross the streams and do all kinds of cool things. Yeah, I mean, it does set up, that would set up the possibility um, of the three of them standing in opposition against Sauron. You know, that, there is a kind of uh, there is a kind of elegance uh, to that. Uh, Philip Lord is suggesting a CGI Saruman, which actually I think very plausible. Um, That's you know, true, actually. You just go Spider Man on it, right? Have Christopher Lee That's do the true. dialogue and and uh, right. And they could do some live stuff on green screen with uh, with Christopher Lee in, in London and then just CGI the rest of them. Like yep. they did with, um, I remember, Legolas and the Malamook is what always I remember for CGI. <laughs> right, from, right. Return and, of the King. Right, right. And stunt doubles and stuff. I'm sure there's, there are ways they could do which, that. Which actually, you know, if we, with our riddle in mind, you know, I, I mean, I'm, kind of hoping sermon will be there and me too me too we bring the riddle up right nah nah so okay uh <laughs> let's move on talk about something else um i 
No, I, I do agree. I mean, this is something, I mean, you know, Dave and I were speculating about this way back, uh, you know, in season one about how much of the Saruman is turning to evil subplot right. are we going to be getting. Um, and I hope we get some. I hope we get some. I think it has to be some foreshadowing, right? <sighs> I mean, you can't not allude to it at all. I mean, we've had his kind of cameo appearance at Rivendell and the evidence of, you know, sort of tension and distrust between him and Gandalf. So that was right. okay. Um, but, um, and it's not like I was suggest. I mean, it's, you know, this is part of the, I think we did, if, as I recall, we did a whole episode on this in season one, you know, are we going to get a, like, you know, cause conceivably they could have done a Saruman turns to the dark side trajectory, you know, of like, mm-hmm. Sh- mm-hmm depicting the actual moment when, you know, when Sauron decides to, to, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, that could happen. I, I, I don't expect that, uh, anymore. He's too peripheral a character, but some kind of illusion, you know, some kind of Jackson's world in Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Saruman, unlike in the book is actually almost like a vassal of Sauron. Right. I mean, he's, he actually is like, Oh yes, Lord, I will raise an army for you. Whereas in the book, he's, he's, his goal is to set himself up independently as a new dark Lord. Um, so, you know, I, I think we did actually posit about Saruman getting ensnared by the Palantir, you know, in some, at some point in The Hobbit. So we actually see sort of the moment when that happens or something. I would love to, even if we don't see that, I mean, I would love to see some, you know, intimation, which, of course, would not be seen by Galadriel or Gandalf. Yes. Um, no, I've been hoping for this all along. Um, I've been, I, I, I certainly do hope that Saruman is going to be there, um, and I hope that we're going to see him do something sinister. Saruman might be the person <laughs> who enables uh, Sauron to escape. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, uh, Kurt was just you suggesting know? that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, that would be interesting. I mean, I don't know exactly how he contrives that, you know. Uh, but, but yeah, it would be, it would be, it would be interesting. Oh, okay. Anthony says that Christopher Lee has said in interviews that he kicks butt in the third film. I haven't seen so, those. I mean, but. again, that's an actor talking about the scenes he's filmed as opposed to what's actually going to end up in the movie. But <laughs> right, the Chris Anthony saying. alludes to you know, possibly he'll be cut out, cut out of the out. theatrical <laughs> release again. Uh, <laughs> as of course, uh, you know, people may remember, you know, when the Saruman death scene was cut from the theatrical release of the of the third film, you know, of, the, right. of the Return of the King, uh, Saruman, you know, and Christopher Lee was really mad because, you know, he didn't even appear in the third film. Uh, and he was like, should I even show up to the, you know, to the, uh, you know, to the, uh, you know, the release party. That's um, right. Now, you know, actually Philip brings up, makes me think of something too. Saruman actually could stay good through all of this. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the movie, back in Isengard, we see him look into the Palantir and get, and get hooked. Right, right. You know, so I mean, he could he could stay good through there. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm really curious as to how Jackson's going to going to do the ceremony thing. Yeah, but, but I think either way, whether it's right at the end or whether it's during the thing, I mean, I, like you like you said, I just can't see us not seeing something. Yeah, of a foreshadow. I, I you know, I, I can't believe he will let us go through all three films and have ceremony not have turned by the end. 
Right. I, I think I, I really do think there has to be something, which is why I think he has to be here, because when else are we going to get him? I mean, are we going to do like a complete non sequitur? Meanwhile, randomly over in Isengard, here's what Saruman <laughs> is doing. I mean, right. it, it, he has right. to be involved in the plot line at so. some point in order to come in again. And so, so. Um, and since they had his involvement and what's more, remember, they had his involvement um, sort of picked in brought in unexpectedly. You know, um, Gandalf, when he arrives at Rivendell, Mm -hmm. is pleasantly surprised to find Galadriel and unpleasantly surprised to find find Saruman. Um, It may well be that um, Saruman shows up, uh, you know, uh, again, sort of unexpectedly. um, Elbows his way in. Yeah, uh, into the, the conflict with Sauron here. I mean, I'm really, I'm still voting for a betrayal, you know, for an, for an undercover betrayal. Yes. Like he shows, like that's the reason he shows up is because he's going to thwart, you know, any, like he's going to make sure Sauron doesn't get destroyed um, kind of thing. I mean, I, 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 it would be nice if that was the case. I don't know. Again, we're back to pacing. How much time can you spend on, Del, you know, on the Dalgaldor scenes? But... Right. Right. Yep, exactly. But, um, but yeah, okay. So I am expecting... I, 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 I'm expecting a small-scale, mostly wizard-focused battle, which, as I remember correctly, we had a riddle about this forever ago. Was it a season two riddle we had about this, or a season oh, one riddle, maybe? I'm so bad. I should go back and re- review all of those. Yeah. Anyway, we already had... I think it might have even been season one. Though, remember, Probably in our defense, yeah. this was back when... It is season one. That's what Philip recalls it. This was when... This was right. back in the two-film world... Mm-hmm. Um, before the the splitting into three films, um, when uh, Dave and I still thought it plausible that the Battle of Dol Guldur would occur in this in you know like at the end of the first film, right of the two right. when there were two, um, but uh, anyway yeah yeah as I recall my vote in that riddle for what kind of battle we're going to get in Dol Gul- at Dol Guldur um, was. Like an Avengers style, right? You know, that's right. Band of heroes coming in oh, and that's taking right. it was on. One of the questions, yeah, yeah. It was one of the, um, yeah. Which is still now what I expect. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. That's that's. In fact, I think that that riddle is still open. In fact, we should include that this yeah. year. Yeah, in fact, yeah, we should a, we should yeah, make a sweep a when we're over. when we're finalizing thing yeah. for uh, for right. our voting period uh, in a couple months. We should sweep through all of the still relevant riddles of our first right. seasons and include them as like bonus points or something. As bonus riddles. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, yeah. I agree. And I, because it, there's too many there's too many things in its favor. You know, I mean. F- there's all the special effects and there's the needing to have this thing kind of happen rapidly. And, you know, plus the thing is, I mean, you know, just the fact that the battle of five armies is going to be the big set piece as far as armies clashing. So you don't want to have two of those, um, in one movie kind of thing. So yeah, I could see, I think this is going to be more guerrilla action. Uh, Bayorn showing up by the way, could also be the way Gandalf ends up getting to Erebor. Uh, you know, if Bayorn shows up at Dol Guldur, Gandalf may hit your ride with, hey, you going my way? You going along right. the mountain? Can right. I catch a yep. ride? I agree. I would be very... I, I I rather expect Gandalf and Bjorn to show up at the same time uh, at the Battle of Five Armies. Yeah. And remember, yeah. just to review about the Bjorn stuff, um, we... Saw, and this... Um, 
this analysis is based primarily upon the excellent and, and well nigh irrefutable testimony of the Lego sets from last <laughs> year. Uh, <laughs> is that is that apparently uh, uh, Bjorn shows up at Dol Guldur? And that's right. I mean, we have the Lego set to prove it. So it, yeah, I mean, so I think that's open and shut. Um, <laughs> And what it seems, you know, our, our, our analysis of this last year, um, uh, which still seems to me plausible based on what we've, uh, the, the references that we've gotten from, uh, you know, the, the uh, Bjorn actor was talking about the Bjorn, the torture scene when he tortures an orc to get him to talk, right. um, which of course happens in the book. Um, and so it's not surprising that they would adapt that. So the idea of Bjorn going off on a fact finding mission to figure out what the heck is really going on, which of course, as I said, that does happen in the book, um, you know, that he confirms all of their story. The idea that Bjorn would do that before just showing up the Lonely Mountain seems to make all kinds of sense. You know, that that mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. Bjorn's encounter with Thorin and the dwarves uh, in his house in film two would lead him to uh, want to f- learn more about what's really going on. And maybe this is actually an opportunity for him to get vengeance for the wrongs done to his people. And so he's going to go to Dol Guldur because he knows that's the center of this. So to find out what's going on, he's going to go there. So he shows up sort of independently. Of independently, yeah. So he just goes, he doesn't yeah. have no idea that Gandalf is captured or right. anything. And maybe doesn't even have anything to do with the rescue. Um, mm-hmm. But he, you know, shows up to find out what's going on. And he captures an orc and tortures it and finds out what's going on. Um, and then decides to, either decides to, I don't know if he takes part. Maybe he does. You know, maybe we get. He might even have a. Well, he might even have like a mini eucatastrophic. Eucatastrophic, yes. Eucatastrophic. Eucatastrophic, yes. Role at Dal Guldur, you know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how he could be a eucatastrophe with wizards, but you never know. He might. Yeah. Maybe he, you know, he distracts Sauron at a key moment or something, and they're able to off him. So, you know, he may show up in that role at Dal Guldur. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see him being able to do too much against Sauron himself. But the other thing that I would wonder is, are we going to get any actual connection or communication between Bjorn and Radagast? Um, yeah. Remember, in the book, Bjorn knows Radagast. Um, you know, that they're neighbors and uh, um, and acquainted with each other. Um, and based on what we've seen of Radagast in the films, we would expect him to know Bjorn. You know, he's like the friends of the animals of Greenwood, you know. So uh, you'd think that he and Bjorn would be on, would be known to each other and on good terms. Um, I wonder if we could even see, you know, Radagast on his bunny sled alerting Bjorn and asking Bjorn for help. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that could even be... You know, just again, it could be one of the places he goes um, for assistance. Bjorn in a sidecar. He gets a little sidecar out for the sled. (laughs) I don't think Bjorn needs a ride. Uh, (laughs) um, Although I guess yeah, that that would be like if 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 he if the bunny sled ends up taking Gandalf to Erebor, then the the sidecar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then we would need a sidecar. Um, But okay, so so. You know what? What role Bjorn is going to have, if any, at the battle? I'm not really sure, but I can easily see this uh, for this reason. I think, and and in some ways, I think that involving Bjorn um, in this uh, at Dol Guldur as a kind of an as a sort of an intermediary stage in his own 
um, plot trajectory is almost essential. I mean, you think about where they left Bjorn and the very small amount of time in the theatrical release right. that they spent there. Um, if that guy, you know, if like the bear dude from way back at the beginning of film two randomly shows up at the Battle of Five Armies without any better reason than, uh, you know, I met you guys a while back and I don't really know where you're going or what you're doing. And I, I, it's not obvious I had any means of finding out what was going on over here. But what the heck? I just showed up. I mean, it was going to seem really random. Right. Um, if we don't get yeah, anything of true. Bjorn before the Battle of Five Armies. So, that's true. Um, so Del would be the logical place for him to, yeah, to show up. Yeah. yeah. Now, of course, the, 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 we do get an intermediary step between the meeting with Bjorn um yeah, uh, you know, like the you know in chapter seven, and his showing up at the Battle of Five Armies in the book is very brief, but we do get the reference when the news is spreading of Smaug's death. Um, Bjorn hears about it. You know, he hears news from the birds that uh, uh, that Smaug is dead. Um, so we know that he is thinking about the Lonely Mountain and that he has heard news. Um, we also, I mean, I anyway suspect that. Uh, we're not told whether or not he knew that the goblins were coming, but that seems to me to be the primary inducement. I cannot believe that Bjorn descended upon the Lonely Mountain just because he heard that the dragon was dead and was hoping to come find treasure. Um, I don't think he well, was planning to. Well, are we told to... in the book that he kind of tracks the orcs' activities and, and actions, and so it would he... make sense that he, if there was a mustering, he would be aware that something was afoot? Yes, he seems uh, He seems, He seems. seems pretty... Uh, pretty up to date with um, yeah. what the goblins are doing. So that's why it would make sense to me that um, uh, that um, that Bjorn would would have come right. to the Lonely Mountain, right. not because there was treasure available, but because he believed that the goblins were going there and right. um, he wanted to be in on the action when it came to destroying the goblin army. But from what we know in the movie, I think you're right. I think the most logical way for him to show up at Erebor for the battle would be via the Dog Via Dog Guldor, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. W- within the film world, that seems to be the most sensible way to establish that that link. Because again, I mean, even if they do the equivalent of the book and like give us a a 15 second scene in which you know Bjorn is having a chat with a bird who is like, by the way, you know, or, you know, like, or rather to do it like they do with Radagast, a bird comes and lands on his shoulder, yeah, yeah and he's like, what is that you say? The dragon is dead? That is very interesting. And then, you know, all of a sudden he shows up. I mean, it's, it, I, again, in the film, I really can't see that working. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, anyway, so... Although this could be a place for Roak. You know, Roak could show up here. You know, Roak's going to be busy. He's got enough to do in this film. Yeah, Roak has such yeah, a big he, role cut out for him in this movie yeah, that, uh, really, I, we, can't, we can't overstretch uh, poor Roak here. That's right. Um, oh, Roland. Roland is, 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 uh, is anticipating our riddle. Okay, yeah. So we should we should finally move on to the riddle because everybody's been. Well, actually, okay, no, no, I don't. There's one other thing I want to talk about first, which is the issue, and this is the issue that uh, it's an issue that Laura and I addressed, and on I think our first uh, super erogatory episode, um, and that is 
Galadriel kicking butt at Dol Guldor. And the question that's... And I've I've already forgotten who it was who asked this question, but basically the question was, are we going to see Galadriel wielding a sword? Like, are we going to see her coming in in her flowing, shimmering white dress and and just, like, magically, perhaps even with song, um, you know, taking the place apart? Or are we going to see her in armor with weapons, fighting? Um... And uh, and uh, my answer, if I'm remembering it correctly, which I'm never confident that I am, was, I don't know, but I would not be offended at all to see Galadriel in Neither, armor and with a sword. Nor would I, actually. And, and to tell you the honest truth, between Glor- uh, between Glor- what am I saying? Between Galadriel in armor and sword and Galadriel in flowing white dress and singing, just just given our culture today, I think the sword side would be probably the, the direction Jackson would go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the singing and the flowing gown, only a few of us really would get that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I just don't think it yeah. would translate to I would be audience. delighted if they go the Me full too. Luthien with her, you know? Oh. I mean, if she comes in like Luthien, just, just awesome. you know, singing and the power of her song, you know, demolishes Dol Guldur. That'd I mean, be awesome. yeah, that would be that would be incredibly awesome. But, but I, I could see the critics just going, "What?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. It's... Or the studio heads right. saying, "I'm sorry, that just doesn't work." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it would be great. But uh, end, maybe he'll do an alternate. End. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think I. You know. I'm sure that if she comes in with a, you know, wielding a sword, there will be lots of people who will say, um, that's a, you know, like a complete travesty of Tolkien's vision. Um, and when they do say here, I'm like predicting a whole, both sides of a conversation that's going to happen in the future. Um, if she were to do that, I would predict that there will be lots of people on the internet who will be saying, oh, that is like so non-Tolkien. And my response to them will be, who says, how do you know? Yeah, really. On, on what do you base that? Yeah, I, I, we don't Especially have if any you go evidence back, of that. If you go to Unfinished Tales, and again, don't worry about the timing of when Tolkien wrote the stuff. She was quite the tomboy in Valinor. Yes, and uh, was very good with weapons. Yes, D- I mean, did we, did we, do we, do we imagine Galadriel as she's depicted in the Silmarillion, never taking arms with? No, I think I, I, I think she likely did take up arms. Um, right. Uh, in fact, uh, I would not be surprised based on what we learn, you know, again, what we're told in, in, in uh, uh, well, especially in some of the revisions, not the published Silmarillion, but uh, thinking back to the Unfinished Tales stuff, you know, with the different mm-hmm. versions of Galadriel that we talked about. There's at least one version of Galadriel where you would expect her not only to have taken up arms, but to have taken up arms uh, and killed some of Feanor's followers. Right. Because uh, we're right. told she 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 fights for the uh, for the Teleri at the Kinslaying, um, so I, you know I I I really think that um, we don't have any reason to think Galadriel never takes up arms. We see her as a as a force, um, and so I, I I don't think it's any necessary uh, violation. And in some ways, no, I, I think, think so it's um, I think it's it's pigeonholing Tolkien's women in ways which he doesn't do. You know, right. uh, Tolkien gets a lot of flack for having, you know, 
women on a pedestal who are in the background and don't take part in the action. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who give Tolkien flack for that. And I feel like, in fact, even some of Tolkien's, you know, fans and defenders are wanting to push his stories more in that direction than his own stories go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Goadriel is a force to be reckoned with. And I think that a film version which depicted her as actually, you know, in armor, wielding a sword and like showing off some like, you know, matrix like moves uh, with her sword. That would be a way visually to convey, you know, how powerful and dangerous she is and why right. the bad guys fear her as much as they do. Again, I would prefer still my own plan A would be the full Luthien. I want to see her singing and I want to see the power of hers. I, I want to see, you know, uh, 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 Luthien versus Sauron part two, you know, Galadriel come and take on Sauron in song. That would be great. That again, that's, if you ask me what I want to see, that's what I want to see. I don't expect to see it though. And I think it would be perfectly, uh, defensible not to see it. Um, uh, you know, so anyway, I, 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 I I did just want to bring that up. And for me within Jackson's verse, you know, I mean, I could see Galadriel being armored and a sword because we have her, you know, in all of his movies, she's kind of the epitome, you know, she's this, she's this epitome of elven queens. Yes. Um, We already have Tauriel, who's this awesome, you know, female warrior. Galadriel would be expected to be much as good as, if not better than Tauriel, if she's the epitome of elven queens. So, I mean, even in just Jackson's universe, I could see it. Um, that, you know, Galadriel has all these sides to her, and one of them is, you know, a kick-butt warrior. Right. So I almost kind of look forward to seeing that. I mean, I think it'd be really, you know, it's, it'll be a well-kept secret, because obviously Kate Blanchett and nobody else said anything about Galadriel in armor, other than Philippa saying that one thing about her kicking butt at Dog Door, but it could be really fun. It could actually help me enjoy movie three a lot more. <laughs> right, <laughs> Which right. I'm anticipating not enjoying. And, uh, and you know, uh, Tom um, Tom Hillman brings up that, uh, of course, I, what what I do think is an impo- is, is is an important issue. He says, "Please no Galadriel in a chainmail bikini." Um, oh God! Yes, I agree. It would that that would be horrible if we got um, or you know Galadriel in a sexy leather cat suit or something like that. You yeah. know, um, I absolutely agree. If you take advantage of the opportunity to, um, you know take away Galadriel's flowing white, you know, gown and instead, and you take that opportunity to put her in something sexually provocative, that would be, I would be really be miffed awful. by that. But, Tom, what I would say to that, Toriel gives me great hope that we're not going to see that. Um, I was just going to say that. If I was going to say if they were going to do that with somebody, it seems they, like they would have done it with oh, Are you kidding? I mean, yeah, yeah obviously. Evangeline Lilly is like candidate number one through five for the, like, I'm going to make someone into sexually provocative eye candy, you know, alternatives. I mean, if they were going to do that, they obviously would have done it with her. Um, So, yeah, no, I I absolutely, for for that reason, and again, and I, and I would just say again for the record, I really admire, strongly admire how they have done that with Toriel. I I honestly expected, I honestly expected to get at least, uh, you know, Toriel in some kind of, like, you know, midriff revealing number or something like that, you know, like that, but they have gone so far out of their way to make Toriel not 
right. a sexual object in that film. I, th- and that blew me away. I was totally assuming, you know, and th- that was, that was, that was me, you know, doing like, Oh, it's Hollywood there. This is, you know, obviously what they're going to do, you know, they're going to need to, you know, to, 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 but no, they didn't. Um, and, and so I would certainly not expect them to do that with Galadriel. With Galadriel. No. Now I also, before we move on to the riddle, have one other topic, which could take us way off, but I don't think it will because we've talked about it a lot before, but again, the Dwarven ring. Yeah. Back to our Lego set. Back to our Lego you know, set. Okay, so back to back proof. to that the the the, the sort of the up? canon. You know, I mean, will, if, if we yeah. if we think about Lego canon here, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no canon in in the Doggledor scene. <laughs> yeah, there is. There's Lego canon now. So yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. That's right. Um, the ring under the statue. The ring under the statue in the Lego set. Are we going to get a ring under the statue in the Lego set? Um. Now, I suppose being under the statue could have been a, a specifically a Lego thing, but still, the fact that there was a ring at Dol Guldur... See, that's what, I, that's what I keep... I, 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 I still think the same thing about that Lego set element that I did when we first talked about it. It is a very Lego thing to do to create some kind of moving part that wasn't there. Yeah. And here, the example yeah. that I would point to, which is a deliciously comical example, is in the Council of Elrond Lego set from the Fellowship of the Ring <laughs> yes, film. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> they have to have, like, the, the Council of Elrond is a very static thing, right? There are no, like, you know, trap doors. And mo- it, Lego sets nowadays love to have, you know, uh, moving features. And so they inserted in the Council of Elrond say, an ejector seat for Gimli. So Gimli's in an ejector seat in the Council of Elrond. There's, like, a mechanism. And it shows on the front of the box. Yes. Gimli being catapulted off this. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so they've like you know put in a little interest, you know, a little a little uh, dynamism into the Council of Elrond. But have, so you know, uh, so I sort of take allowances for things like that. Right. You know, for, sure. so the idea that they would have like a statue that like opens up and you right. know conceals something or whatever. That could just be a Legoism in that same sure. way, you know. Like we, we, but picking we a ring, exactly. But it's the ring. Yeah. It's the ring itself that yeah. I can't get away from. It's like, why would they invent that? With the, right. you know, giving Gimli an ejector seat is not <laughs> in that way. In that is not in the same way a pure invention. Um, there, is, I mean, it's of course very vaguely uh, and in general terms suggested by the action of the film when Gimli, like, I mean, Gimli does fall back on his butt at one point in the Council of Elrond scene in the film, right? So there is the whole concept of, you know, of Gimli being thrown off, you know. Right. Uh, 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 yeah, to, a couple people have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's not, it's not there. It doesn't happen uh, in that way. There's no ejector seat. But again, the whole concept is, so what they've done is they've taken a thing that actually happens and they've made it into a Lego-fied mechanism. Right. Um, so again, I could imagine that the opening statue is something that could be a similar kind of thing. Um, you know, if there's like a statue that at one point is like shattered or something in the film and they make that into right. like an opening statue, you know, a, a cool opening slash retracting statue in the Lego set, that could just be a Legoism. But the concealed ring, ring why would they invent yeah. that? Seems really uncharacteristic for them right. to invent that kind of a detail right. out of whole cloth. I mean, they would. On their own, I can't see them doing that because of the fact that the ring's always been with Bilbo in all of the Hobbit 
um, Lego sets. You know what I mean? It's yes. like it's just not. They, it, I couldn't see Lego saying, "Well, we need to have a ring here." I mean, because Bilbo's not in this, and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I just like where would they get that idea from? I mean, being a Dogoldor and being a battle thing, you'd think it'd be something more like an, you know, a catapult or a, you know, a, something that would that would spring or something like you know that would be more like an armament kind of a thing. Right. So that's kind of what has me stumped. Yeah. Why a ring? Yeah, no, no, exactly. So, so it does come back to the question of, were they basing that on something? You know, was there some kind of justification uh, for the ring in statue thing from right. the, you know, from the briefings from that the, the Lego people got? From, yeah. yeah, yeah, which I know is all, you know, it's all pre-production, the stuff that they're getting. Um, but... Um, uh, but I don't know. You know, Yana is asking a good question. Uh, could it be meant to represent the Nazgul statue we saw in movie one? Um, uh, th- you know, when we saw the the, you know, I, I assume Yana, you're thinking of like when the Witch King attacks Radagast, right? And he's like standing under. Maybe, maybe. Um, and we did see actually when Gandalf was in Dol Guldur in movie two, the, the 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 statue in Lego in the Lego one is holding an orb of some kind, and there is a statue that's not the one that's not the Witch King statue that we saw at Dol Guldur when uh, when Gandalf went there that is holding an orb. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it could be you know that or it could be the Witch King statue. I don't know. So Yana is suggesting that maybe the Lego people are thinking of that scene in film one when the statue like. It's almost as if the statue came alive or like the necromancer or the not the necromancer, the witch king was sort of there mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. attacks Radagast um, and that therefore the ring within the statue could be a sort of symbolic uh, uh, um, representation. Of, oh, of the of the Nazgul. The Nazgul like ring. Nazgul. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. That's, a, that's, actually that's an interesting theory. And uh, Yana, if um, if there is no reference to or discussion of or finding of a ring in Dal Guldur um in film three, I'm gonna to return to that theory. Uh because it's <laughs> it's your 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 proposal, Yana, is the only explanation I can think of. Uh, the only if uh um, plausibly Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the only plausible explanation if there is no further um you know reveal on that on that point in film three. So okay. All right. All right. Um, now we can go riddle. To the riddle. Let's actually go on. So, so the riddle is the it, it, this, the very sensitive question, which many of you have already. Um, and we have discussed it. Yeah, yeah. We've episodes. we've we've mentioned it before, but this is this is one of the big questions about the Battle of Dol Guldur. Oh, you know what? I didn't talk slow because I forgot to do a, a, a poll. I'll okay. Do that right now. No problem. So the big question is: What happens to Radagast in film three? What? Is the fate of Radagast, um, and we've been anticipating um, long before any business with his staff came into play. Um, I, you know, Dave and I, I remember again back in season one, we're speculating about the probable death of Radagast um, uh, over the course of hey, these I was films. There then by that time, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> um, I'm rem- the latter half of the year. Yeah, that was. That was. <laughs> um, so, um, like I said, this has, been, uh, this, is, this has been something that's been on our radar screen for a while. The stuff with the staffs, of course, bears remembering. Um, right. We saw Gandalf's staff destroyed at the end of film 
two, everyone was noticing that Gandalf was not using at the beginning, you know, in the in Hobbit film one and two, he was not using the same staff that we saw him with uh, in the Lord of the Rings films. Um, but uh, people were, in fact, observing that the staff that Radagast was using looks awfully like the staff that Gandalf was using in the Fellowship of the Ring film. And Jackson um, actually makes some pointed remark about his staff as well. And I think in one of the director commentaries. Yeah. Um, well, it had to have been in the first movie. Yeah. So, so yeah. So we've got a little bit more uh, evidence there as well. Right. Exactly. So um, it appears as if Gandalf is going to be using Radagaf's staff um, in the future. Um, this of course, has solidified uh, in my mind the probability of Radagast's demise. Um, so uh, here, here are our options. So, so therefore, our options for this riddle reflect, um, you know, my assessment of the probable death of Radagast. Uh, in film three. So let me read you the options and then uh, Trish will put up the uh, poll so that you can register your uh, unofficial and non-binding votes here this morning. Um, What will become of Radagast in movie three? Uh, A. He lives and disappears from the story. So that's the book answer. The book answer is he doesn't die, uh, but he just kind of drops out of the story and is uh, never really heard from again. So that's... uh, that's 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 option A. Uh, option B, he is killed by a minion of Sauron at Dol Guldur. So he dies. He dies during, or it could be Sauron. Or so let's just say he. Let's, let's actually let's change that one. Let's say he he's killed at Dol oh. Guldur. Okay. Well, it'll, it'll change on the site. I'm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You don't have <laughs> I'm to... afraid if I go try to change it now, it's going to get all weird again. So yeah. So he's killed at Dol Guldur. He's killed at Dol Guldur. See, as he's killed at the Battle of Five Armies. <laughs> Well, actually, see, the reason I said... Oh, yes, because it's because of D. D. Yeah. 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 Well, no, let's just say fine. So D is he's killed by Saruman. If he's killed by Saruman anywhere, it trumps either of the other two. It trumps... Yeah. Okay. So if you think he's going to be killed by Saruman at Dog Older, then you have to vote D. Um, Okay. So D is is sufficiently special that it trumps the location thing. All right. And, um, uh, And then E is none of the above. So... So to simplify, then um, it'll say this on the on the site when I put it up. It'll be he lives and disappears from the story. Book answer: He's killed at Dolgaldor. C. He's killed at Battle of Five Armies. D. He's killed by Saruman. Or E. None of the above. That's right. That's right. Okay. Now, what would be some of the none of the above examples? Well, uh, he lives and doesn't disappear would be none of the above. You know, Gandalf is one of the triumphant heroes at the end of the story, happily alive and returning back to his uh, hedgehog friends, um, would be E. Um, Killed by uh, by Sauron Yana, again, if it happens at Del Guldur, that would be B. That's why I wanted to change B, because I didn't want to specify, I I didn't want to have too many loopholes available there. And could he be? Roland asks, "Could he be killed by Saruman without the others noticing?" I do think, I do think he could be killed by Saruman without the others noticing, and then Saruman would set it up to make it look like he'd been killed by an orc. Exactly. Or, you know, 
exactly. This was a this was a wild theory uh, that we formulated way back in season yes. one, which I still love. You know, the idea of of Radagast um, discovering discovering some you know seeing something. Maybe Saruman with the Palantir, maybe Saruman actively colluding with Sauron or something. And Saruman has to shut him up uh, to keep him from, you know, outing him to the rest of the council. And uh, uh, and so Radagast dies and, you know, Gandalf mourns him, but does not learn the truth about Saruman. And that that would be a mechanism whereby um, they could reveal um, Saruman's change, you know, his treachery without, while still maintaining the consistency of having you know, Elrond and Galadriel and Gandalf not know about it at the time of the return, of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Bronte says if he's killed a dog holder, uh, will he have time to give Gandalf a staff? I don't necessarily know that he will be giving Gandalf a staff. I mean, Gandalf may may take his staff in deference and in memory of his friend. You know, that's another way right. that Gandalf could get the staff. Right. Gandalf could loot his like corpse. Harry Potter thing where the Gandalf, where the staff just rises on its own and like shoots itself in Gandalf's hand. But I hope you don't see that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, let's, let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, no, it would be, it would be, uh, you're right. Exactly. It would be, it would be, he, um, Kate, I was thinking of the same scene, like Aragorn taking Boromir's bracers, uh, you know, we see him strapping, uh, you know, the, uh, Boromir's bracers onto his arm. Um, in homage. Right. Yeah. As, as, as Boromir's, as Boromir's going. Um, um, yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Noam asks, uh, what if he d- disappears behind an avalanche or something and we don't know what happens to him? Um, if he just, then I would say it's E. If he's not conclusively killed, um, then I, I'm perfectly willing to say that's none of the above. You know, if he just kind of mysteriously vanishes or if nobody knows what comes of him. Well, except that he lives and disappears from the story. Is that also too many loopholes in that? Um, well, no, well, I would say if he doesn't definitively live. You know, if he, again, if it's a thing like, like uh, Noam suggests, if he dis- disappears behind an avalanche or something and we never oh, okay, actually okay. see him and again. We, know, we don't know for sure. That we he don't died, know for but... sure if he's alive or dead. Um, yeah, okay. That would uh, yeah, I, I would consider that. Gandalf loots his corpse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that, it's, <laughs> um, yeah, Gandalf loots his Oh, you said that. I said, you that. said that. Yeah, I did say that. I did say that. Oh, yeah. golly. Thanks, Sharon. I. I I miss it. I think I was answering somebody's note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that is the quote of possession. <laughs> so let's see. Um, ah, but see, Tim, you're, you're, you're mistaking the book for the movie. Yes, he lives in, but, you know, in the book, we don't even know that he took place in Dol Guldur. So, yes, he does meet Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings book, but we know that in the Lord of the Rings movies, he doesn't. He doesn't. In fact, So there's that, no need for Gradagast to be alive in in Jax's version of the story. In fact, there's almost a need for him to be dead. To not be alive. That was, yes. right, that was what initially, back in season one, when we were first talking about this, that's why we were initially thinking Radagast probably dies. I mean, it was one of our first thoughts about Radagast. Because how he, could you explain him being in the exactly. Hobbit? Exactly. For ter- in terms of in terms of narrative consistency, with Radagast being made a major character and a friend and ally of Gandalf, um, 
there needs to be a reason why Gandalf never consults him or mentions to him or, you know, why he's completely non-existent in the Lord of the Rings movie world. Um, and his death in the Hobbit film would, um, would give a very ample explanation of that. Yeah, I don't think there's any way around it. I think, we're, we, you know, Brianna made this point, but I think there's going to be a lot of deaths in movie three. I mean, Jackson has promised us a very emotional movie, you know, yeah. and I, probably part of that is going to be a lot of deaths in this movie. Well, and he, I mean, he can't avoid them. I mean, there are some no. extra ones, like I still assume Toriel's going to die, and, and right. you know, and obviously that's not something that's mandated by the book. But even if he only kills off the people mandated by the book, I mean, the death right. of Thorin, Fili, and Kiwi is going to be hard. It's hard in the book. I mean, it's very sad in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, and would be very sad in the film. So... Um, absolutely. I, 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 so, so yeah, he, he, he has that base upon which to start, you know, the, the deaths that we already have there. Um, so yeah, if you add uh, Radagast and Torio at least to that, then, um, um, you know, we're, uh, uh, we're already, the body count is way higher. The body <laughs> count of significant characters is far higher than it was in the it Lord is. of the Rings. I mean, in the Lord of the Rings, we got the death of Boromir, which, again, was sort of mandated by the books. Um, that That's it. But everybody I mean, Theoden. Okay, yeah, Theoden's dead. Again, mandated by the book. Yeah. Um, okay. So you got the two Most major... heroic... Right, Denethor, which nobody mourns, um, also mandated <laughs> by the book. So again, they follow the book in killing off the major characters who are killed off, but he doesn't. He doesn't go out of his way to kill off any other main character. There's, there's, or adds anybody in that ends up getting killed. The only, off the only thing I can think of is Haldir uh, at the Battle of Helm's Deep. Oh right, that's right. Um, but, uh, but the honestly, Saruman die, which is well, you know, yeah, also mandated by way. the book, though. Yeah, though, 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 uh, though differed. You're right. Um, Haldir is the only one I can think of that we get to know in the movie that is an extra. Well, he's not an extra character, but yeah. Well, he's, he doesn't die in the he's, book. A, he's a he's a, a you know an, an an extra death in that way. Um, right. But yeah, no, it's we're gonna have yeah, t- exactly, Timothy. It's just like the opera. We're gonna have corpses littered across the stage. You know, <laughs> by the end of the by the end of the thing. Oh my gosh! Has there been a Lord of the Rings opera? By the way, has been a if musical. If not, there will be someday. Is it's there? been a musical. Okay. Yeah, Timothy, get to work on that, would you please? You know, we want yeah, like a, a Lord of the Rings opera, maybe even a Hobbit opera. Yeah, like a I, I want like a six-hour opera, preferably in German. <laughs> okay. Oh. Yes. So. And then Wagner's estate will get all up yeah. arms about. Yeah. No, let's let's see it. Let's 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 make it happen. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Oh, and of course, of course, as Kate points out, we're forgetting like Gandalf's death. Um, but again, mandated by the book. So, so there's, right. there's, there's, you know, Jackson has no history uh, in the Tolkien films for just killing off characters. Um, but, um, uh, but, um, but, but, yeah, no, I think so it, that is going to make this next film in that way a departure um, because it's going to be much more, um, it's going to be much more tragic death heavy than uh, yeah. than the rest of the films have been. Um, but fifty um, percent yeah. voted. I have a feeling people are waiting to hear what you're going to say. <laughs> okay. Well, no. First, first, our, our first point of business is speculating about what Dave would say. Dave, that's right. So let's see. Dave 
has been pretty conservative lately. So, you know, I could, uh, but he wouldn't say A because I feel relatively sure that he believes that Radagast is going to die. So he's not going to say that. So what would Dave say? Dave's going to say, say D. D. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No We're question. Unanimous on that. Unanimous. Right, Dave's, so we just Dave let him D. Know that's what he answered. Yeah. Um, he always loved the uh, the sort of Radagast as Saruman's patsy thing, which we're really sorry didn't happen in film one. Um, you know that that Radagast oh, yeah. would be like uh, would be like Saruman's bootlicker. You know that he just he, right. he thinks that Saruman is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then the, and then like the horrible discovery hero, that yeah. he's like you know turned to the dark side. Uh, you know, so like you get that moment of terrible disillusionment right before Saruman betrays him and kills him. That was the that was the the sort of the little dramatic plot that we cooked up in season one, uh, and that didn't happen, which was kind of sad. Uh, the opportunity for melodrama there was really um, was really high, but uh, uh, anyway, that didn't happen. So, um, um, so yeah, but but I think Dave is still. Uh, I think he's you know, Dave's going to yeah, go with D. Yeah, and this is excellent. I like voting for Dave because now I don't have to vote for D because I've already gotten to like. <laughs> You know, cathartically <laughs> vote for, for vote for D on Dave's perhaps because part of me really wants to vote for D because I think oh, it would I'm be the awesome. Same you are. I can't bring. I really would like to vote for D, but I just I am yeah. thinking it's probably B. Yeah, I don't I think, think it's really going to happen. Or... But man, like so, yeah. So Dave gets to vote D, and that's great. And and fortunately, we we still and you know we still get to change our answers along with everybody else before the game ends. So that's my out. You know, if I change my mind about D, then I can always answer that ultimately. But I'm going with, I personally am going to go with B. Okay. Well, Justin asks a really good question. If Saruman kills Radagast, how does Gandalf get his staff? Justin, nothing easier. So here's what happens. Okay, so there's Radagast and Saruman, and they're like, they're on their own, you know, they're like, you know, around the corner or whatever from Gandalf and the rest of them. And, uh, and uh, Saruman turns and treacherously kills, you know, maybe even stabs Radagast in the back or something. And then Radagast, you know, gives him this look of betrayal, like, oh, you know, et tu, Saruman. And then, like, he collapses. And then Gandalf runs around the corner, and there's Saruman kneeling next to Radagast's corpse. And Saruman is all like, no, Radagast, oh dear, someone just came and killed him. It was awful. And Gandalf is, you know, kneeling next to Saruman with tears in his eyes. And perhaps the viewers are vouchsafed a, a view of Saruman looking over at Gandalf when Gandalf is looking down at Saruman, and and uh, and uh, you know Gandalf takes his staff, and Saruman's all like, "I think he would have wanted that," you know. Um, oh man, like it, this thing writes itself. That's easy. No problems. <laughs> no problems. Um, or I could also see, you know, I guess, I guess, I don't know if this actually fits, but Gandalf could say, I will take this as a were-guild. <laughs> right. I'll take this stuff as a were-guild. Well, no, he, he, he would need to carve a were-guild out of Saruman, or out of, out of uh, Sauron, if he thinks that Sauron did it. There you go. Yeah, he's going to, yeah. yeah um, but, yeah, yeah, Brianna says, part of me wonders if we'll even see Saruman in this film because of Christopher Lee's health. That is always a question. But um, like you said, see, between CGI, between and, CGI and, and stunt, stunt doubles, doubles, yeah, I think that there's, you know, we could still get, I don't think I that... I mean, we could have yeah. Christopher Lee's mellifluous voice no matter what, you know, even if Saruman's back is turned, it could be a stunt double with Saruman, you know, doing a voiceover, I mean, with uh, Lee doing a voiceover, so he could, he could conceivably be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, he just I'll, turned 92 the other day, by the way, Christopher Lee. I think it was 92. Oh. I saw a little birthday greeting to him. Yeah, yeah. And you could see why he doesn't want to do his own stunts anymore, I guess. Um, yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Kate says Lee's voice is Lee's voice no matter whose body we see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, he does, by the way, side note, he narrates the the book, the Children of Huron book. Yes. Christopher Lee, and I haven't listened to it yet because I know... I know the story. I'm going to Disney World in September. Yeah. I plan to listen to Children of Huron while I'm at Disney World. I thought, okay, that's the place to listen to Children of Huron because it'll be offset. Yeah, right. I mean, Disney. if you want to make sure, you know, in the sense of like putting yourself on suicide watch when you're reading the Children exactly. of Huron, right? Exactly. To make sure you don't get too depressed. That's right. I could go out and do like go hang with Mickey for a little while. But maybe Disney World and the Children of Huron would would react like matter and antimatter. I don't know. <laughs> It could be perilous. I'd like explode. Yeah. Just be careful. Your head (laughs) might blow up. Yes. If you don't hear from me. So I'll make sure that, you know, folks know when I'm due back. So if they don't hear from me, you'll know that I may have like imploded or something. (laughs) I do think there's something just kind of funny about like me sitting at Magic Kingdom with my, you know, iPod. Yes. In my ears listening to, you know. Weeping openly at the death of Beleg while you're in line at Space (laughs) Mountain, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, it's it's a very it's a it's a, it's a very charming picture. Given Huron's view of things, it was a small small world. Tom, you know, Tom, yeah, I think the credit there. Yeah, I think. Uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, I can totally believe uh, that Melkor wrote that song. In any case, um, <laughs> but uh, that makes all kinds of sense. All right. Okay, so what are you going for? What am I going for? That remains the question. So, um, we still have thirty percent of the people, I think, holding out for your. By the way, so far nobody thinks he's going to be at the Battle of Five Armies. Yeah, I'm trying. I was noticing that, and I'm trying to uh, uh, talk myself into it. Let me see. Let me try well, to could. construct. They could defeat Sauron. He gives Gandalf a lift to Erebor, right? Right, we get the bunny sled sled sidecar, which uh, has sufficient Mm -hmm. comic potential to justify itself. Um, Let's hope that Gandalf doesn't go so far as to take the bunny sled. Um, (laughs) I hope that he takes his staff and then, you know, like sets fire to the bunny sled in like a dramatic, you know, funeral pyre kind of thing. Yeah, like a funeral pyre. Um, It breaks up his own bunny sled to use as his funeral pyre. That would be... uh, that would be just like Boromir being uh, being uh, sent along with his weapons, uh, uh, you know, about him. Um, though not that I'm suggesting that he actually sacrifice his bunnies or anything. But anyhow, so uh, nevertheless, okay. Point is, um, <laughs> all right. Uh, sorry, what I'm trying to do is not think of what I want to say, but uh, the more challenging thing of trying to think of. Um, an excuse for answer C. Um, how would he be killed about all five armies? Um, gosh, I'm having a really hard time with this one because it seems difficult. To, there are several strikes against it. One is. <clears throat> We already have a whole bunch of corpses at the Battle of Five Armies. Right. We don't need another one. So why would you import a corpse to the Battle of Five Armies when we already have um, several corpses plus possibly other? And we already have at least three 
to four corpses scheduled for the Battle of Five Armies, so why would we import a fifth for no reason? Um, that's one very strong ar- argument against his dying at the Battle of Five Armies. We also have then the fact that um, no, you know, there's no one else scheduled to die at the Battle of Dol Guldur, so in order to... to m- you know, sort of add some... Again, if we're going to ha- add a death here, why wouldn't we make it at the Battle of Dol Guldur? Um, plus, he seems more likely to be killed at the Battle of Dol Guldur. That is, Sauron seems much more capable, or Saruman, of offing um, Radagast uh, than, like, you know, a random orc at uh, the Battle of Five Armies. Or even a non-random orc. I mean, could you even see Bolg coming up and walloping Radagast and killing him? Sure, I couldn't. Well, yeah, I mean, theoretically, lines. yeah, but I, I just I don't see that happening. It's I, I, no, I'm I not. Either. I don't. I don't believe in it. I don't trust it. So I think uh, Radagast. I think Radagast's death has to be meaningful, and I think it would get lost in the shuffle at Battle of Five Armies. It exactly. Makes no sense for it to be exactly. Especially if we're going to give it, you know, like a very personal and emotional meaning for Gandalf right. himself. That almost has to happen sooner. I mean, it almost has to. Um, I wonder if we'll see, you know, I wonder if there'll be like a little bit of the way we saw Saruman die, you know, and like a mist, a blue mist rise or a brown mist, I guess would be, would rise brown mist. and head yeah. to the west. Um, yeah, might do. It might do. Nice Easter egg. Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, at the Battle of the Dol Guldur, yes. Oh, right. Thank you, Philip. We've been misspeaking ourselves, right? The Battle of the Dol Guldur. The Dol Guldur. Um, uh, so I'm failing in my in my uh, my my. Yeah, you haven't talked anybody into to see so far. All I've done is give arguments against it. Let me attempt to rally my faculties here. There must be some scenario I can think of that would result in Radagast dying at the Battle of Five Armies. So, okay. Uh, Rad- um, no, um, I can't. I, I, I'm sorry. I just cannot envision this. I think this is the first time. It doesn't seem to work. Here. Yeah. In almost any way. I mean, I'm trying to think of a way in which it makes sense, a way, a way in which it would be dramatically appropriate. Um, okay, okay, all right. It's weak, but this is the this is all I got. One of the questions that we have about the Battle of Five Armies, and of course, we'll talk, excuse me, the Battle of the Five Armies that we uh, um, will be talking about more later on, is Gandalf's role in the battle. Um, of course, we don't see him actually doing much in the battle in the book, um, but given Gandalf as we have seen him already in the films and Gandalf as we came to know him in uh, the Lord of the Rings films, um, it's very difficult to imagine Gandalf just sort of sitting back and observing. He's clearly going to take part in the battle if he's there. Um, so maybe we have a, you know, a separate... You know, if, if Radagast survives the Battle of Dol Guldur and rescues Gandalf, we could have that rescue kind of recapitulate. You know, he could sort of be fighting with Gandalf, and we could even a- have him, um, you know, sort of uh, saving, um, sort of, you know, maybe maybe even saving Gandalf's life in the Battle of Five Armies, and you know, sacrificing himself for Gandalf there, um, as you know, to sort of underscore his. 
because you know one one here okay all right here we go i'm I'm, try, I'm starting to build a little bit of momentum in my 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 feeble attempt to justify this <laughs> one problem with radagast's death at the battle of dol guldor is that dol Gul, uh, at dol guldor he is himself not the cavalry you know he's like the guy who goes and fetches the cavalry goadriel is the cavalry um so there is, you know, the chance in the Dol Guldur um, uh, scene on, in the film that Radagast really gets kind of thrust aside, you know, that he's not the major, he's not the one who gets credit for rescuing Gandalf. And so if he dies, Gandalf could be said, but you think about it, on screen we have, you know, Gandalf has like respect for Radagast and they appear to be in some sense friends. But if, if, if Radagast, like right now, you know, from where we are at the end of film two, if Radagast just had a heart attack and keeled over dead, would Gandalf be like, Radagast, I will always remember you. You are the greatest. Like, we don't see that much that much connection between Gandalf and Radagast. Like, they seem to be colleagues, but uh, but there's not, like, there isn't a really strong emotional connection. And at the Battle of Dol Guldur, it's Galadriel who's going to be doing all the heavy lifting. So, uh, um... You know, at the end of the Battle of Zol Guldor, Gandalf is still just going to be like, so, uh, hey, Radagast, thanks for fetching the competent people. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, so, whereas at the Battle of Five Armies, once Galadriel is safely out of the way, then we could have Galadriel, uh, we could have Radagast, you know, involved in, like, saving Gandalf's life or, uh, or sacrificing himself in some kind of meaningful way there. And it would be a kind of a counterpoint. Yes, it adds another corpse to the Battle of Five Armies, but it adds a very different kind of corpse, right? You know, we get, um, we could get sort of three parallel um, uh, things going on. Where, like, basically, you have three stories, like of three different relationships, which culminate in deaths in the Battle of Five Armies. We get. We get Bilbo and Thorin, right, culminating on Thorin's deathbed. We get uh, Keeley and Toriel with Feely thrown in as a bonus. Um, and then we would get Gandalf and Radagast over here. So we, 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 we it, sort of structurally, it could be done in a way that would, uh, that, that, that I think could work in an interesting sort of way. Um, that's all I got. It's the best I can do, I think. Uh, in uh, in 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 justifying R- Radagast at the well, Battle of Five Armies. Well, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, it could work. I mean, it could yeah, provide a kind I of still elegant parallels. Yeah, no, no one's biting, but uh, and I can't talk myself into it. My real <laughs> debate here is between B and D. Um, uh, I do suspect he really is going to die at the Battle of Dol Guldur. So my question is just, is he going to be betrayed by Saruman? You know, that idea that we had way back when, I still find enchanting. Um, but, right, uh, I know, I do, I do. But I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I really would like that to be the answer. So who's going to kill him then? Sauron? Um... Yeah, either Sauron or or maybe the Witch King. 
Okay, so I think we're getting some Nazgul action in the Battle of Dol yeah, Guldur. That's one of the things I want to bring up next episode, is yeah. if the Nazgul are going to be yeah. there. Yeah, the Nazgul, that's a good question. And, you know, we have talked about the Morgul Blade. Jackson has said something about the, that Morgul Blade is still going to play some kind of a role in the Hobbit. Yeah. Um, so it could be, you know, not necessarily Sauron himself, but maybe the Witch King. I mean, I, I, if he dies at Dol Guldur, which is what I'm thinking is going to happen, it can't just be any old orc. Not even a Volger and Azog. No. No. So I'm thinking it has to be either Sauron or one of the Nazgul. Yeah. 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 Yes. But I still, I mean, even though I'm saying B, my my heart really belongs to D. And I don't know if Azog is, I don't think, is a, oh, Azog is there. But I don't know if Azog is going to be a dog. No. Well, I have to talk about that next week. I don't think so. I don't know if he's leaving the armies or, yeah. Talk about that next week. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Okay. Um... How well has the enchantment with ideas worked on the previous Hobbit movie riddles? You mean the enchantment of Corey's ideas? Actually, oh. they work pretty well, usually. Oh, they work really great. They don't usually happen. <laughs> yes, they're usually the wrong answers, but yeah. he has brought people over to his way of thinking. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, I, I've decided. That's right. I've decided. Actually, I had a... I had a... a th- since the last episode, I've been thinking this over, and I've decided from now on... Uh, I have a new conviction, which is I am no longer going to vote for the thing that I think most likely to happen in the film. Because that has not worked for you. That's not worked for me. So instead, what I'm going to do is I am, from now on, just going to vote for the thing I want to happen. Ah, you must be voting D this time, then. I am. I am. This is me proclaiming. I am voting D. Yep. Now, see, I don't know that that necessarily works because I've actually been voting for what I want to have happen, and I also have done poorly. Yep. Yep. So. That's okay. That's okay. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's it. I want it to be D. I want. I want Radagast to be betrayed by Saruman to his death. That's. Uh, that's that's how I hope it happens. Oops. Maybe he's going to shove him off a tower or something. Ooh, yeah. Have, Radag- have poor Radagast plummet uh, to his death. Wizard his way out of. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, oh, have you got? It. I I think my percentages lag from yours. Have you? How many people? How many? What percent of votes have you? I've got eighty-six percent voting now. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, he mine's showing eighty-four. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder why that would happen. Yeah, I don't know. It's always been that way. It's mine's always shown less than what your show is. Maybe because you're the originator of the, huh. you know, I don't know. It hits you before it hits me. I don't know. It's weird. It is strange. Well, but I do think we've probably, guys. Anybody else? Last call for votes. Last call for votes. Yeah. There's still clearly a few of you who haven't voted. Um, of course, your excuse for not voting might left. be that you have like. Yeah. Uh, Put the you've put this up in the background while you're pretending to do work, uh, and uh, you know your boss is standing over your shoulder, and you've got your like you know your earbud in, your but fake, uh, your fake screen on. But yeah, you've got your fake screen on, and you can't uh, you can't if you pull up the poll to vote, it'll blow your cover. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, okay. Now, first off, we should also say. Um, 
those of you who have said E, 19% have voted for E. So, uh, uh, Spill, what do you think happens? Those of you who, who have voted for E, tell us what you're, tell us what you're thinking. Because, you know, around here, we don't want none of the above to be the refuge of cowards. You know, we don't want that just to be like, if you're, if you're, if you don't want to commit, you say, you vaguely say E. We want you to say E if you have a theory which does not match with options A through D. So, so I want to hear, I want to, I want to hear some of the E theories here. What do you think? If you don't think, and 19% of you don't think he's going to be killed at Dol Guldur or the Battle of Five Armies or by Saruman or that he's going to survive. So what do you think is going to happen to him then? Um, you know, he's going to, uh, uh, you know what, he's going to like get a splinter on his bunny sled, come down with a really bad case of sepsis and die on the road. Uh, what, what do you think? What, what's, um, what's the theory? Anyone, anyone want to, want to, want come to on, hazard their E theories? Now we did have the, we did have the one earlier of, you know, like if he gets buried in an avalanche, avalanche of rocks and we don't know, we don't see or hear from him again, and we don't know if he's alive or dead. Right, right? the mysterious That's disappearance uh, idea. Okay, okay. <laughs> Gabrielle says, "Die in a tragic bunny sled accident." Right, exactly. Yeah, we could do. We could. We could. We we could work in a highway safety moral into this. That's very. It's a very attractive idea. That's right. Every year, dozens of people are killed in high-speed bunny sled accidents. Oh, there we go. Well, Noam says he thinks he's been shipped to Valor. So like he gets like a mortal wound, right? But he's still alive. So okay, he gets yeah. So if, if he's him, if he's sent him to the undying lands, if he is mortally wounded and then shipped off, uh, um, you know, he's like invalided out of Middle Earth. Okay, sure, I can see that. Um, Pecked okay. to death by Roak. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> Dime. Roak, I'm telling you. Don't put more on this poor raven than he can handle, okay? Like, he's got plenty to do. We don't need to invent things for Roak to do because he's obviously going to be there advising Thorin and telling Thorin when he's doing dumb things and taking messages back and forth. So he does not need to be going off and pecking people to death. Noam says Radagast could be turned into a Zombork, which truly would be an E answer. I agree. Um, yeah. There we go, Sharon. Sharon's got to go. He, he could be so overwhelmed by the evil that he sees, he doesn't want to be involved anymore. So he gives up his staff to Gandalf and wanders away to deeper forests in the east, stretching for a possible E answer. There, it's not. She's not voting, but she's riffing on this. So that's that was a good one, Sharon. Okay. Okay. So he just like abdicates. You know, he just heads yeah. off. He says, "I can't do this anymore. I just have to go." Okay. I'm taking. I'm taking Sebastian. Sebastian and I, travels with Sebastian. <laughs> right, so they're just gonna go. Yeah, I just said I'm gonna go, and my my hedgehog and I are gonna go on a are gonna go on a world tour. We're gonna go walk about. Yeah, yeah. Goes yeah. off. He goes off with the ant wives. <laughs> <laughs> That's a scandalous suggestion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Corey has a special special affection for the ant wives. Yes, yes, yeah. Um. Okay, okay. Um, All right. Well, I think uh, you know B is the is the answer. But you know, we don't. It's it's not like an overwhelming majority this time. I mean, I think it's not like it's been in the past where we end up with like one like overwhelming answer. I mean, forty one percent still pretty good, but not. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Um, yeah, no, it, this is not a this is not a landslide by any stretch. Right. Okay. Good. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We have a couple announcements here at the close. Um, oh, first of all, actually, one thing that I should have, we should have said at the beginning, um, we have a new feature in place at Riddles in the Dark. If you go to the Riddles in the Dark page on the MythGuard.org website, um, you will find, uh, and it's it is referred to in the text up at the top of the page. We have a new discussion forum um, that is not just the chat room, which we have had for a while for people to chat with each other during the episodes, but we actually. have have um, a discussion forum where people can post and continue discussions. Um, we've been doing some discussion and stuff on Facebook, but I know not everybody it's uses not really Facebook. The place, yeah, it's not really the place for it. Doesn't really lend itself well. And this takes a really good place of because we had to give up the comments. Right. Exactly. This is, this is and in fact, it's probably even a better tool. Yes, much better been, because so. it allows people to be able to view things better and to exactly. be able to respond to each other. Um, and I know that, you know, there are many of you who have, you know, really good ideas uh, and, and you know, maybe you want to, you know, write something a little longer than is convenient to be in a Facebook right. post. Um, you know, so you would be very welcome to post things on our discussion forum. That's, as I said, that's, that's, that's Brant's a new feature that we have, um, that we are rolling out uh, on the MythGuard.org website. And we, uh, um, uh, and in fact, I'll be changing the send your comments to Laura to send your comment as you know, put, post your comments on the discussion board. Yes. So, you know, so Laura now won't get inundated with emails. <laughs> um, but I think it's better because the other problem with sending emails to Laura was Laura's the only one that sees them, you know, whereas with the discussion board, you guys can, you know, see what other people are saying and post your own thoughts. And I think that's just much more dynamic and interesting. Right, right, yes. Go to the, um, so again, if you go to MythGuard.org, you will see a link to Riddles in the Dark um, uh, in the in the uh, um, the Quick Links box on the right-hand side. Um, go there, and there are instructions for uh, registering for the discussion board. You do have to create a login uh, and password. We have to have the uh, forum participation password protected um, to prevent if us you from are, the But robot if you're already registered, right? If they're already registered yes. through, like, if they're doing the MythGuard Academy or something right. like that. Right. Yeah, we have a discussion board for the MythGuard Academy, and yes, if you're already enrolled for that, you can participate in any of our discussion forums. Yeah. So those are you don't right. Have to, you're not going to get a new password and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, so anyway, so once you register there, um, you have to be approved, again, to protect us uh, as part of our, uh, as, as, part of our bulwark against the robot armies uh, that are continually uh, assailing us. Um, and by the way, I've, 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 I've begun to feel kind of Norse about this. You know, I sort of feel like, uh, you know, Mythgard versus the robot armies is kind of like Odin versus the giants. You know, <laughs> eventually the twilight of Mythgard will come and the robots will overwhelm us. But, uh, uh, but until that day, robot you know, rock. Exactly. Uh, so anyhow, um, uh, we uh, we we have a, a manual um, uh, th- that is when you when you register you're not automatically put in. We have to approve your registration. So Corey, and we a couple that, people but... have asked. Can you share your screen um, and show where the discussion board link is? Uh, hey, I could probably do that. You could do that, huh? Um, let me see. And I'm just going over there now to see because. I wanted to see where he, um, okay, uh, sorry, just a second here, um, 
Okay. You don't see where Luke's put it. Yeah, I, 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 I do, but I'll show you here. Okay. So okay. Uh, we got to hide the results of the poll for me to share. Okay, here yeah. we go. All right. Um, yes. Okay. So you see the Mythgard page here, yes? And, do, and also describe this while you're doing it so the people that are listening to the podcast. Right, okay. So here's the MythGuard.org homepage. Over here on the right is this purple box called Quick Links. And there is Riddles in the Dark. That's the easiest way to get to the Riddles in the Dark page. So here is the Riddles in the Dark page. Down here you see the cheerfully bouncing little chat icon. Um, that's how you open up the live uh, chat window to be able to talk with other people during the episode. Um uh, then if you scroll down here under Get Involved, um, this is the link to the free forum. Um, and uh, it says, you know, we will use this form as our discussion board. You must register. So here is the link to the registration form. So yeah, under the section called Get Involved, there are two links, one link to the forum and one link to the registration form. Um, there's also a link to our Facebook page here. But uh, so... Click here to register, and then then in future you would click here to access the forum uh, to be able to uh, to be able to participate. And as I say, there's um, um, uh, there's a um, there's an opportunity, or there's 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 often going to be a delay. Um, if you register, you might not be able to participate right away. That doesn't mean it's not working. But like, as I said, in order to defend us against the robots, one of our real human beings uh, who is uh, administer, you know, we have a we have a team of people um, who are moderating and administering our forums now. Um, and one of our actual human beings has to approve your registration to make sure to confirm that you are not a robot. So um, uh, so if, if it doesn't work right away, don't panic. Um, that's why that's happening. But those have been going through pretty swiftly. So, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so that is the, 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 the most relevant announcement. Um, uh, the, uh, other announcements, um, uh, if in case you haven't heard yet, or if you've been missing it, the Mythgard Academy is now doing the Book of Lost Tales. Um, that has been a lot of fun so far. We just did the music of the Ainur um, uh, on this past Tuesday. We are um, uh, moving ahead to look at the coming of the elves uh, um, next uh, for this coming week. Um, so we're going to be doing chapters three and four of the Book of Lost Tales. Um, you know, I would again emphasize if you've ever been interested in reading the Book of Lost Tales, you know, in reading the history of Middle Earth, if you've ever been daunted by the history of Middle Earth, you know, you've read it and you're like, well, it's you know, because a lot of people, it's got a lot of footnotes and a lot of endnotes and thing, you know, and and commentary stuff, and so it's it's I know it's kind of dry for a lot of people, and you know, there are many people who have had a hard time kind of getting into it because you don't. Just just have the experience, which even the Silmarillion gets you, of being able just to immerse yourself in the story. Um, you know, you have the sort of the interference of a, of a strong editorial voice, which is really necessary in the Book of Lost Tales. I'm not intending to criticize uh, Christopher Tolkien in that. I think it's I think I think the way he's done it is very good, and I'm very glad he did it that way. But I know that it, it does form an obstacle. So here's your chance to go through, and we're going to talk our way through the story and discuss uh, discuss the its interesting elements, just as we went through unfinished tales in the spring, um, and sort of you know like we did with the Silmarillion seminar uh, in years uh, past. So 
I, uh, I urge you to join us uh, for the Book of Lost Tales. Again, that will be this coming Tuesday um, and the next few Tuesdays to come at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So... Um, also, we do have, we've been threatening you with Mythmoot registration for uh, several episodes, uh, and we keep having uh, things which intervene to delay. That is really and truly almost done. So if you are looking forward to, uh, 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 to registering for Mythmoot, keep looking for that. The, the opportunity will arrive very, very soon. Really, honestly, it's, I mean it's a it. New, we've got a new registration system. Yeah, we're, we're so working we're, out the bugs in, a, in an entirely new yeah, system. Uh, yeah, that, so. the, the, the Mythmoot registration will be our, our maiden voyage with our new, uh, our new system. So we're trying to iron out the kinks before we release it. So anyway, that's, that is uh, um, perhaps not excuse, but explanation at least as to why that uh, continues to be, uh, continues to be an issue. Um, um, Sharon, by the way, you asked if your Myth, Mythgard University login will work on the discussion board. No, no, you you do need to register for a different. It's it's this gives you access into the Mythgard uh, Institute website infrastructure, and it's different from the Moodle infrastructure. Yep, 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 um, yep. It's um, it is it is it is to, it's a totally separate system. Um, <laughs> Yana Yana did a little um, typo. He meant, he meant to say, so humanoid Cylons will be unwelcome. He typed, well, humanoid colons will be unwelcome. Yes, human colons are totally unwelcome. Anyone's oh, large intestine who signs up independently, <laughs> it's one of the reasons why we screen, because we can't have just anyone's <laughs> organs signing up for our discussion forum. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We have to draw the line. Some people call it elitist, but you know what? Like, you know, we have to we have to apply some standards sooner or later. So there we are. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the one last riddles in the dark related announcement. Um, next episode uh, is all pretty much guaranteed to be rescheduled. We're not going to be able to meet at our regular um, Friday 10 a.m. Um, time slot on the next, uh, the, you know, which our next slot would be uh, Friday would the 13th. Uh, at uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern time. That's not going to happen. Um, that is likely to be rescheduled, um, and we'll announce that. I think we're leaning towards Saturday the 14th, aren't we? Yeah, and yeah. probably the same time. Anyone who has already signed up, used the link under the 13th on the Riddles in the Dark page sign up, you will get an email when the time changes. Yep. So you automatically get a get a notification. But if you haven't signed up yet, you know, uh, we'll be announcing it on the Facebook uh, pages, the Tolkien Professor page and the Riddles in the Dark pages. So it does right now look like June 14th at the usual time, but but we'll confirm that when we get closer. Yeah, and the best, so the best thing to do, go to the Riddles in the Dark page here, scroll down to right. episode 10, um, and then you can click here on Join the Live Session. Um, that will enable you to register for the GoTo meeting session, and yes, then you will receive automatic emails when we change the time. When we change, um, yeah. So that'll be your birthday, the fourteenth, Sandra's Sandra Hall's birthday. Oh, well, 14th. there we go. See, so yeah, so here's, this is all you have to do. You know, as you guys know who are here, first name, last name, and address, register, and there you go. Um, so then we will we will proactively stay in touch with you and tell you about it if you do that. So that's the easiest thing. Um, okay, I think that's it. Is that it? I think it is. Okay, I think very you can good. send us off. Okay, well, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.